Good evening. I now like to call to order this regular meeting of the Berkeley City Council for Tuesday, February 28th, 2023. And before we proceed to a roll call, I'd like to ask the um, city clerk to play the COVID-19 meeting announcement recording for, I believe, the last time. Conducted in a hybrid format, pursuant to government code section 54953E and the state declared emergency, this meeting will be conducted through teleconference and Zoom video conference, as well as in-person participation. The COVID-19 state of emergency continues to impact the ability of council members to meet safely in person and presents risk to the health of attendees. Please be mindful that this meeting may be recorded as any public meeting may be recorded and all rules of procedure and decorum apply for persons participating by teleconference, video conference, or in person. To access the meeting remotely using the internet, join from your device using the URL indicated on the agenda for this meeting. If you do not wish for your name to appear on the screen, use the drop-down menu and click on Rename to rename yourself to be anonymous. To request to speak, use the raise hand icon on the screen. To join by phone, dial the number indicated on the agenda and enter the meeting ID. If you wish to comment during the public comment portion of the agenda, press star nine and wait to be recognized by the chair. For in-person participation, proof of up-to-date COVID-19 vaccination or verified negative COVID-19 test is required. In-person attendees are required to wear a mask that covers their nose and mouth for the duration of the meeting. If you are feeling sick, please do not attend in person. Thank you very much. The first item on our agenda is roll call. I'd like to ask the city clerk to please call the roll. Councilmember Kesarwani? Here. Taplin? Present. Bartlett? Here. Harrison? Here. Hahn? Present. Langraff? Present. Robinson? Present. Humbert? Present. And Mayor Ergin? Present. Okay, a quorum of the city council is present. We'll now proceed to ceremonial matters. And uh, sadly, this evening, we will be adjourning our city council meeting in honor of three um, longtime Berkeley residents. And I'd now like to turn the floor over to Councilmember Hahn to um, um, adjourn our meeting in memory of Pat DeVito. Mayor, I apologize. I don't have the materials directly in front of me. I will pass to that in a moment. Okay, why don't we then, why don't I proceed with the other uh, adjournment requests? Um, we learned today, um, and it was um, um, published in Berkeley side of the um, recent passing of longtime South Berkeley resident community leader Beatrice Berger, um, who passed away on February 22nd. Many of us remember Miss Berger or um, Aunt B, um, as she commonly referred to herself, who was a um, frequent participant in our city council meetings and very active in the South Berkeley community. Um, she was a longshoreman, a homemaker, and a community activist, and uh, was uh, one of um, uh, I think 10 children 
um, from the late um, South Berkeley leader, Mabel Howard, and continue Ms. Howard's advocacy in her South Berkeley community. Um, we're very saddened to hear, hear her passing and um, would like to extend our condolences to her family and friends. Um, additionally, we also learned recently of the very um, set passing of David Lance Goins, who um, uh, was a longtime Berkeley artist and printmaker. And uh, I think really um, not only was, I think, part of sort of Berkeley's countercultural history, but really key to, I think, the creative spirit of our city. And, um, uh, and many of us know uh, Mr. Goins's iconic prints and posters, including um, uh, celebrating the anniversary of Chez Panisse, um, as well as many other Berkeley institutions, and really brought um, a very unique um, spirit to the artwork that he produced, um, really um, sort of emphasizing, um, uh, you know, uh, Berkeley's unique uh, culture, uh, whether it's food, whether it's arts, um, and, um, uh, you know, his prints, I think, are sort of a lasting part of Berkeley's identity, um, and very sad to hear of his passing, and want to uh, ask that we adjourn our city council meeting in honor of David Lentz Goins in recognition of his many contributions to Berkeley's um, community. Um, and so with that, I want to go back to Councilmember Hahn to see if she is ready to proceed with the um, the recognition of um, Pat DeVito. Councilmember Hahn? Can't hear you. You're muted currently. I know that we we are joined by um, Jackie Ensign and Mike DeVito, um, and I also see we have um, also Janet Byron, um, um, who may um, offer some words and recognition of uh, Pat DeVito as well. Thank you very much, Mayor, and I apologize not finding my papers. Very stressful. Pat DeVito is one of the four original co-founders of Berkeley Path Wanderers Association. She died on November 2022, 20, November 2022, of Alzheimer's disease at the age of 89 in Portland, Oregon. She lived on Indian Rock, just above Mortar Rock, and the family was uh, frequently in North Berkeley using our paths and enjoying enjoying the path in, in the city. In 1997, Pat learned from her friend, Jackie Ensign, about a notice posted at the North Berkeley Library by Jackie's friend, Ruth Armstrong Moskowitz, soliciting community interest in Berkeley's pathway. The three women met at Jackie's house in late November, and a few weeks later, they were joined by Eleanor Paul Gibson, a mutual friend of Jackie's and Pat's. Pat documented the founding of the Path Wanderers in a 2005 essay in which she reflects on the start. Thus began a true collaborative effort among four avid path walkers 
to raise community awareness of pathway conditions and the need for action after years of neglect if our hope to restore Berkeley's path was to be realized. Ruth chose a name for the group and all four women developed a mission statement for the organization, establishing a goal to develop an accurate map of the path. They scheduled their first public meeting for May 20, 1998 and waited to see if anyone would show up. They got a standing room crowd of over 60 people and the Berkeley Path Wanderers was launched. Berkeley Path Wanderers has been an extremely important organization for the city of Berkeley. The path used to connect to the tram system, which sadly we no longer have. They also provide wonderful opportunities for walking throughout the hills and even all the way down to our shopping district um, at, the, at the bottom of the hills. And they're also being used now as important routes for disaster evacuation. It's a huge contribution to the city of Berkeley, which we've honored by renaming Pass in Berkeley after the four founders. And we have previously honored them with proclamations. Pat had many careers. She worked for the city of Berkeley. She served on the Fair Campaign Practices Committee. She worked for UC Berkeley Extension, Berkeley Neighborhood Legal Services, Holy Names University, and Swords to Plowshares, which is a rehabilitation project for veterans of the Vietnam War. She used all of her degrees at one time or another. She liked working with organizations to make them efficient so they could function smoothly. Pat DeVito is an iconic, important leader for Berkeley, and we mourn her passing. Okay, thank you very much. Councilor Hahn, I understand that Michael DeVito has joined us this evening. I see we have yes. Janet Byron as well from the uh, Path Wanderers. Um, I'm gonna go to Mr. DeVito and Janet to just say a few words as well. Thank and, you. And Michael, um, should be able to speak. I have unmuted. Yes. You yes. want to speak Yes, sir. Um, uh, you are unmuted. We can hear you. If you like to say any, a few words to the city council, we would we would welcome them. Yes. Uh, Pat and I came to Berkeley in 1953 to go to the University of California. Uh, we married in 54 uh, and uh, became residents of the city for over 50 years. Had always got involved in the activities around her and she did so in Berkeley. When our kids were growing up, she was active in the PTA. When there was a question about the fairness of the financing of political campaigns, uh, she got a seat on the Fair Campaign, Campaign Practices Committee. She was always involved in events. Uh, she cared deeply about the city. And so later on, when her chief form of exercise and indeed entertainment 
uh, was walking the streets and the paths and utilizing the parks in the city, she became active in that. Although Pat was at her tallest five foot and at her largest 106 pounds, uh, she was not to be underestimated. She had a lot of energy and was tenacious in her viewpoints. Uh, she loved to work with others, preferably those that shared her passion for what they were dealing with. And I think also she preferred to work with women. Uh, Pat uh, uh, got together with the women to form the Berkeley Pathwanderers Association for which you best know her work. Uh, uh, I simply want to tell you that uh, the work they did was part of what Pat liked to do, which was to make things better and more accessible uh, for the people of Berkeley. Uh, what you are doing tonight, uh, recognizing her efforts and accomplishments uh, would give her a great deal of pleasure. And I can assure you gives her family uh, the deepest feelings of gratitude to the city. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Mr. DeVita, for joining us tonight. And we wish to extend our deepest condolences to you Thank and you. your family. We're very grateful for all the many ways that she improved the lives of people in Berkeley and, and contributed um, to our city. Thank you. Okay. We're going to go next to um, Janet Byron from Berkeley Path Wanderers. I think you also like to say a few words. Hello. Hello, City Council. I thank you very much for um, <clears throat> thank Council Member Han for um, arranging this for us. We really, really appreciate it. And I'm sitting with um, with Jackie Ensign, so she's going to say a few words. Yeah. Thank we you. Okay. Uh, it was great to meet Pat. Uh, I met her through the Older Women's Link, part of her activism, and she knew um, um, Ruth Armstrong Moksovich through her. Uh, they're both their husbands were um, uh, professors at uh, Golden State um, University lawyers. But Pat had a special contribution because she was a lawyer and that was invaluable in getting the organization started along with her other things. And she helped establish our bylaws for the organization. She worked with the city on the general plan and included paths in there. And she uh, just made things, and she wrote this invaluable history of the organization. And I think she should be commended for all that. And uh, I think, I don't think we would have had such a strong organization without PASS, who, especially in the bylaws, encouraged for the chairmen's to. Um, have a limited term, limited term of office, and that we had a rotating board. And I'm delighted with all the young people that have joined and then continued in different ways in the organization, such as Janet and many others. We thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us this evening. Um, so I'd like to ask unanimous consent that we adjourn um, our city council meeting.
um, in honor of Pat DeVito. Thank you. Um, and those are all the adjournments uh, requests that I received from members of the council. Um, and so um, very saddened by the passing of these community leaders and um, we want to honor them tonight and adjourn our meeting in their honor tonight. So thank you. So that completes the ceremonial calendar. We'll now proceed to the next order of business, which is city manager comments. I'd like to ask our city manager, D. Williams Ridley, if she has any comments for the city council and the public this evening. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, no comments this evening. Um, we'll save that for our, our long presentation coming up under action calendar. Thank you. Okay, thank you. So when I proceed to public comment on non-agenda matters, this is an opportunity for um, members of the public to speak to any item that's not on our city council agenda tonight. Um, if you wish to speak on an item on the consent calendar or action calendar, uh, please hold your comments until we get to those items later on. But once again, this is an opportunity for public comments on non-agenda matters. So we uh, look forward to your comments this evening. I'd like to first ask the city clerk um, if, if there are any um, members of the public at 1231 Addison who wish to speak on non-agenda matters. Uh, yes, I've uh, drawn five cards. Okay, thank you. So if you can please read those cards, Mr. Newmanville. Uh, Ede, Gianna Renuzzi, Josh Bushwell Clarkson or Char or Charkow Charkow uh, Carol Morosovic and Jack Kurtzweil. Okay. Um, if any of those individuals whose names are called can please come forward to begin public comment on non-agenda matters. Thank you. In any order. In any order, correct. Is the mic on, um, Mr. Newmanville, the, the boardroom? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, this is this is Jack Kurzweil. I'm my topic is housing at North Berkeley BART. I'm calling for the plan for housing at North Berkeley BART to be modified to include number one, space for a grocery store at the street level of the proposed parking garage. The entrance to the garage can easily be expanded to include space for unloading. Two, concentration of services and retail to face the plaza around the entrance to the station. The current plan envisions 768 units and very limited parking for residents. The plan simply does not speak to the needs of these residents for services beyond the childcare center and the cafe that are proposed to be on opposite sides of the site in peripheral locations. The central plaza of the development is left blank, a potentially integrating social space left to be devoid of any social life. The plan simply does not address the issue of how these residents are to get their groceries and under questioning the representative of the development. Um, if you can just please wrap up your comments, we'd appreciate it and really appreciate your comments. Sorry, I speak too slowly. I will send this entire document to the city council. 
I'm calling for the city council to take the initiative in redoing the plan to make that housing a more vibrant social space. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, uh, we'll go to our next speaker in the boardroom. Hi, Jonah here, and um, I'm happy to see you, Rigel, and, and Councilmember Mark Humbert, because you're here, and I get connection with you, and, and I like that. Um, I understand that not all the council people may be at the meeting here for various reasons, but I do hope that you will be here because it's one way to get community, uh, to have participation here. It's rather isolating to speak at home. I can't see your faces very well on the screen, so it really doesn't work when you go in and out. I think you could easily design this space by moving the tables forward, and you'd have enough room for all nine of you. I think that would be wonderful. There's a lot of communication that happens when a person shows up at a meeting, and so I'm sure that you already know that. And uh, we're looking forward to your commitment and, and to have you here present. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Renuzzi. Uh, starting next month, we will all be in person. I'll just say that um, I'm in Sacramento lobbying for transit operating funds for our regional transit agencies to make sure we don't have a fiscal cliff, as well as money for affordable housing, which is why I'm not there in person. Um, so we'll go to our next speaker in the boardroom. Uh, hi, I'm uh, Josh Buswell Charco from District 2. Um, there have been six carjackings in Berkeley this year. Uh, there were two last week. Last year, at this time, there had been one. Um, BPD literally had to put out a PSA about it to, to warn residents. And I know a little something about carjackings because I've been uh, in a victim, an attempted victim of them twice in the past five years. And um, they weren't successful because I literally outdrove them while they chased me through my neighborhood. And um, to call it traumatic is an understatement. And I can't fathom what, how my kids would have handled it if they had been in the car. And there's not a word about this on the agenda. Not a word. Why? Do you not realize this is going on? Do you not care? I, I can't express my frustration that I keep having to come to meetings to beg and plead with you all to do your most important responsibility, which is to keep my family safe. Um, Carol Morasovic, uh, I've uh, speaking to address the issue of the importance of documenting hate incidents as well as hate crimes, and also being uh, documenting specifically the authenticity that has been targeted in both hate incidents and hate crimes. Uh, this concern arose when a uh, fellow tenant and friend of mine where I live uh, has been repeatedly called uh, Jew bitch by another tenant. And so I look this up and that's a hate incident. So therefore, because it doesn't arise to a hate crime, it's not in our database. Uh, now, uh, Berkeley police officers are advised to uh, uh, to document hate incidents in a separate type of report. It's extremely important that we document this. I have this data available uh, so that we know what's going on in our community and know when it might rise to 
going into a hate crime. Uh, second, in terms of ethnicity, when we look at the hate crime data, it just says various categories, such as authenticity. If we identify more specifically what the authenticity is that's being targeted, then we know how to address efforts in our community. Thank you. Mr. Clerk, could you read the other names um, who submitted cards to speak? Uh, I know Mr. Abdullah is at the, the microphone, but I just want to make sure the other speakers are aware um, their names are called. Um, uh, Eid is the last speaker. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Mayor and Council members. My special need, I give the clerk a bunch of sheets for everybody to read. But the point I like to make, when you're talking about institutions, Berkeley Institution, definitely Eid is one of them. If, from a small law in 1965, created one of the biggest, one of the largest consumer electronics uh, company in the whole Bay Area, not just Berkeley. Well, three stores in Berkeley, one in San Francisco. So we went through up and down things, and you know our average sale for over two decades was over a million dollars a month. Uh, right now, the need of that location in Durant should be considered uh, seriously because we applied two and a half years ago, and uh, we lost a lot of money. Not only that, but people in Berkeley suffering a lot. Nobody does the business we do. Nobody. Nobody at all. You have a couple schlocky little iPhone repairs, and that's it. So we, I get 24-hour calls from people desperate to have uh, needs, whether it is sales, that only our source sales or repairs, that, and also a lot of foreign students in Berkeley. I spent uh, 50 years at Berkeley, nuclear engineering department, as a student and professor. While I was then in 1973, I opened Eads by 78. By 1978, we were doing over a million dollars a month's worth of business. What did I do right? I did right. I cared about people at low prices, and what everybody was doing business different. And I was rated one of the top 100 business in the whole country. A lot of consideration be given when I talked to the person in charge of leasing the places last week. I was shocked. I really was shocked. So, Mayor, Councilman, read the statement I gave you. I just like last thing I say, San Jose have leased places for business to keep them through the pandemic. And we'll suffer, like everybody else, through the pandemic. Even San Francisco did a lot, offer a lot to the businesses. Berkeley have to stand up to the occasion. And you're not only helping me and my employees, but you're helping every citizen in Berkeley that deal with electronic, which is, plays big measure part of our life, the whole Zoom conference. Remind you also, the man that created the transistor was an Egyptian like me, and I'm proud of Egypt. His name was uh, uh, Atallah, was Muhammad Atallah, very similar to my name. Thank you, Mayor, but really, yes, seriously, I don't want to deal with, you know, people down the bottom that blocked our application three years ago. I want to deal with the council members and the mayor. Thank you very much, and have a very good night. East TV is an institution of Berkeley. Please keep it and honor it the way it, it is and it has. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so we'll now um, go to five speakers on Zoom. I apologize if we're not able to get to everyone who's raised their hand. Um, our first speaker on non-agenda public comment on Zoom is Becky O'Malley. And Becky, you should now be able to speak. Um, I'm not commenting on the specific agenda item 
19 at this time. I'm simply commenting on the function of the agenda committee in terms of where it chooses to put items for um, what that there it's going to uh, be considered because all too often the most uh, contentious item is last on the agenda. There needs to be some way that the agenda committee can rank order things so the things that have a lot of people interested in them come early in the agenda. It's not fair to people who are responsible for taking care of small children or older parents or something that the most important things come last. They should be come early in the agenda. There's got to be a way to figure that out. I don't know what it is, but it's too bad when people have to stay up so late to do the things that they really care about. Thank you. We'll go next to Robin Davis, followed by Jim. Robin, you should now be able to speak. Uh, please unmute yourself if you wish to speak on any non-agenda matter. It looks like you're unmuted, but we can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Great. Okay. Um, I'm a lifelong Berkeley resident, and I said to you all last year that my life was in danger and my husband. Um, and two weekends ago, three men with guns came to my home, and I was a victim of VWB, visiting while black, or walking while black and this is there is no help for a person who is being racially harassed in this city and i need some help so i'm trying to get the city council to adopt a karen law similarly to what they have in san francisco please help I don't know what else to say. Just, I, you know, I expect the police to be coming to my door again. Thank you very much, sir, for your comments. I'm very sorry to hear about what you've been experiencing. I believe, uh, Councilmember Harrison, didn't we adopt a law similar to San Francisco's? Yes, we adopted the Karen Act about six months ago. Yes, and we're looking forward to hearing from the. Um, city about how how many complaints they've gotten. So um, Robin, you can make a complaint on this basis. And I can send you the law. If you send me an email at kharrison at cityofberkeley.info, I will send you the statute. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Jim, followed by the caller with the number ending 112. Jim, you should now be able to speak on non-agenda matters. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, on October 11th, revised material regarding the Hopkins Street project was introduced and subsequently adopted by the council. That motion directed staff to conduct additional studies of the project, including anticipated parking solutions, economic analysis, updates on placemaking elements, a more detailed report on alternatives, and a review of the safety benefits. The motion stipulated that this material would be shared with the council and the public by January 31st. While consideration by council has since been delayed, as I understand it, to April 18th, 
The reasons given at the time of the postponement were not that staff had inadequate time to complete these studies and reports, but rather that new information had come to light, including the fact that despite assurances from transportation staff that the fire department had analyzed and signed off on this plan, that turned out to be fiction. I request that the city immediately release any additional reports or studies that have been completed and that the public have an opportunity well in advance of April 18th to review all of the information relevant to this issue. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to the call with the number ending 112. Uh, please press star six to unmute. Thank you. L last Friday, supporters of People's Park won a appeals court decision on the inadequacy of UC's EIR in relation to investigating and analyzing of alternative sites for housing project number two. I wanna say that we are not against student housing. We're in favor of student housing on an appropriate site, not a site that is wasting time and money and not get any student housing built. Unfortunately, along with winning that case, the pro-developer legislature, legislature has initiated two new laws to get around following a simple um, environmental um, report that they filled out inappropriately. And worse is that people on this council have associated themselves with people like Scott Weiner, the governor himself, and Professor Elmsdorf using names like hostage taking and weaponizing to characterize people that are simply asking that a law be followed. It's just Thank you, Joe. immoralizing and depressing to be subject to such a barrage of hate language. Thank you, Joe. Please examine what you're doing. Okay. Uh, okay. We'll go next to our last speaker on non-agenda public comment for this round. Um, the caller with the number ending 765, please press star six to unmute if you wish to speak on non-agenda matters. Caller with the number ending 765. Please press star six to unmute. Hello. Yes. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes. Good evening to all the city employees from the top to the bottom. My name is Richie Smith, member of Friends of Adeline. My concerns are many for my South Berkeley community. But for now, the public speaking limitations troubles me muchly. As a 71-year resident of my dear South Berkeley, I'm concerned. This is the only way that we as employees, residents, have of making contact with our employees of the city to pour out our woes and complaints about what's happening. And if you're going to 
limit our speaking, I think that's a travesty. We are the employers of this city, and you are to take care, work on things that we're concerned about in our various communities. We cannot tolerate this. We should be able to speak and share what's going on in our beloved communities, and you take care of it. Thank you. I'm concerned about this, and I want to see some changes. I, you can't delete us. You cannot do it. Have a good evening. Thank you. Um, thank you for comments. That was in relation to, I think, an item on the action calendar, but we have no problem with taking your comments. Um, so um, perhaps we can take one more speaker. Um, okay, we'll go to Rashida Kal Kalyati. And you should not be able to speak. Mayor, she's coming to the podium. Rashida had an emergency matter. She's here and she can't wait because of her young children here. Later. No problem. So um, we'll go to you, Rashida. You were on um, the Zoom Zoom queue, but we welcome your comments uh, in person as well. Uh, hi, what honor. I'm single mom. I'm not from America. I'm from Morocco. I was victim of domestic violence from my husband and I have two children. One, he has autism, and the second one, he has asthma and Crohn's disease, and me and I have arthritis. The last time the judge ordered me to leave the house for my husband, he gave him the right to come back to his house, and I need to leave the house in uh, April 15, uh, 15, and I don't have place to go. If each time I'm looking for a place, they told me, you need to be in a shelter, or living in your car on the street, that can after that can help me to find me a place to stay. I can't put my 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 kids in this danger. I'm looking for a place to stay with my kids. And my kids they attend this Berkeley Unified School District. Now, to one one, they told me we need to see you in the shelter first, or, or out from the house because now they suggest me I'm not uh, I'm in danger. I can't put my my kids in this 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 situation for their life. Uh, thank you for coming tonight. I'm very sorry to hear what you've been experiencing. Um, if you contact the mayor's office and Moni could put you in, in touch with how to contact us, we can work on trying to connect you with the appropriate um, people around trying to get um, access to shelter. Thank you, Mayor. Um, we'll contact your office. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so that completes this round of public comment on non-agenda matters. I apologize to the two attendees who raised their hand. We'll not be able to get to your comments at this time. However, we will have another round of non-agenda public comment at the conclusion of our meeting. So with that, we will proceed now to the consent calendar. I first want to call attention uh, to the fact that, um, and it was uh, noted in um, 
um, supplemental packet one that I've submitted an urgent item uh, working with uh, uh, the Department of Health, Housing, Community Services. Let me pull that up um, to um, walk the council through the item. Um, I'm submitting an urgent item pursuant to government code section 549-54.2B2, uh, which um, uh, requires a two-thirds vote and a determination by council that there's a need for immediate action and the need for action came to the attention of the local agency subsequent to the agenda for this meeting being posted. And the item I'm submitting is increased funding to the housing retention program contract and uh, the justifications we became aware after the the deadline for submitting agenda items to this meeting from the eviction defense center that they have uh, fully exhausted their funding to provide um, housing retention program funds um, and a wait list has started. Um, there are currently six tenants requesting a total of $44,000 in emergency rental assistance, and it's anticipated that these numbers will grow. So in consultation with uh, Dr. Varhus and the Director of Health, Housing, Community Services, and EDC, we're putting forward this item to um, allocate an additional $300,000 um, to the housing retention program from general fund salary savings or um, U1 housing retention program funds and to amend the contract with the eviction defense center to um, enable them to allocate this money. This is urgently needed to make sure we can continue to provide rental assistance. There'll be a separate referral I'll be bringing forward for a more substantial amount uh, to allow property owners and tenants to be able to access these funds so we can pay uh, back rent debt. But um, I'd like to make a motion to add this item to the agenda pursuant to government code section 54954.2B2. Thank you. Um, so uh, this is a procedural motion. So the question before the council is whether to add this item to the agenda. And I'd like to ask the clerk to please call the roll. Mayor, are you adding it to the action calendar or consent calendar? Um, uh, I would like to add it to the consent calendar. Um, this I think this was submitted as an action item, but I, I, I would hope that there's a unanimous agreement that we should move this forward given the urgency of the of the need. Um, and if councilmers have additional amendments they'd like to make to the to the recommendation, we can entertain that during the consent discussion. So the motion once again is to add the item to the agenda. Okay, Councilmember Kesarwani. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. Mayor Aragin? Yes. Okay, motion carried. Okay, the item has now been added to the agenda, and uh, any councilors have any comments on this item, uh, we can address them during the consent discussion. Thank you, colleagues. Um, this is a very um, time-sensitive matter, and I appreciate your support. And we'll certainly be considering providing a supplemental funding for our hazard retention program um, when we discuss the uh, the budget. Um, okay, I'd like to address item 18A, B, and C, um, which is um, related to um, modifying the membership on the Environment and Climate Commission to add youth, uh, dedicated youth representation. The... Um, a Gen and Rules Committee had an extensive discussion about this and made a recommendation, which is noted on the agenda, um, to a qualified positive recommendation 
to adopt Councilmember Harrison's item 18C as revised to state that the full council will appoint the members to the two youth seats on the Environment and Climate Commission and that the Berkeley Unified School District Board of, Dire um, Board of Directors will provide recommendations to the council on candidates for the youth seats. Um, this, I think, was in recognition of the fact that the um, age range of these youth, youth these youth seats is up to 25 years old, and some of those um, individuals may not be Berkeley Unified School District um, students. So um, certainly welcome the input from the school district, but um, uh, I think the discussion we had at policy committee was um, uh, the council should appoint these these particular uh, commissioners. Um, and so I'd like to ask, is there any objection to approving item 18B as recommended by the Agenda and Rules Committee? Is there any objection? Okay, hearing none, that will be the action. We'll, we'll move that to the consent calendar. Um, thank, thank you to the um, Youth Commission. Thank you to the, Envi the Environment and Climate Commission. Thank you to Councilor Harrison for your work in um, bringing support. Um, those are all my comments. Thank you. Okay, let's now go to the council members on the consent calendar. Uh, council member Harrison. Just really briefly, you did say 18C, correct? C, correct. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much. That was all. Okay. Um, let's go now to council member Robinson. Good evening. Uh, first, I want to thank HHCS staff for getting item five to us. So glad to see a contract for the consultancy for the housing preference policy that we were just discussing moving forward. Uh, and I would like to join Councilmember Taplin's item number 11 in support of Assemblymember Lee's social housing bill, a preliminary bill that would state the intent of the state to create the California Housing Authority. And on item 14, this is our referral regarding intersection daylighting. We had more council members reach out to co-sponsor this than was possible per the Brown Act. I want to thank you all for your support. We drafted this item very carefully and very specifically did not include a funding request or a budget referral because we know that there's not bandwidth in the Public Works Department for this project to initiate in the near term, but really want to encourage my colleagues to rank it favorably in the upcoming referral ranking process. It's a low-cost high impact program that we know will make a big difference for our streets. And now that is on consent on 18C, I'll just express my enthusiastic support for these changes to the uh, the climate commission, my gratitude to Councilmember Harrison for carrying this. And I wonder if he's on the call right now. I want to shout out SKP Sam Kaplan Pettis, my former coworker at Pete's for his leadership on this project. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, uh, we'll go next to Councilmember Humbert. Thank you very much, um, Mr. Mayor. And I, I'm just gonna echo um, Council Member Robinson's uh, comments about uh, the the daylighting um, referral. It's, um, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a cheap way to get good results. Um, the cities of Hoboken and um, uh, Jersey City have Vision Zero programs in place, and they haven't seen serious traffic injuries or deaths uh, to pedestrians in about five years, I think, each city, and it's largely a result of daylighting. So we can get a big bang for our small buck um, with daylighting. I'd also love to add my name to um, Council Member Taplin's item 11 on social housing. Uh, it's um, really interesting and and um, promising, I think, and, and, and if there's room, I'd love to 
to add my name to that. Um, finally, with respect to item 13, Council Member Harrison's item um, on the People Over the Pentagon Act, um, I'm I, I want to abstain on this item because, as the item notes, these proposals were developed in 2019 when we were living in a very different world, even doing some just initial research to try to better understand this item. It seemed to me that some of the proposals may already have been acted on, such as the withdrawal from Afghanistan, and it's unclear to me how some of these proposals could affect things like U.S. military aid for Ukraine or other places like Taiwan. Given that Council has expressed support for Ukraine, something I strongly agree with, and given that I don't fully understand the implications of these proposals for federal level spending changes, I'm just going to respectfully abstain. Thank you. Those are my comments. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Council Member Taplin. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. On item 11, I'm happy to add Council Members Humber and Robinson. Thank you, and thanks to Council Member Hahn as well. Um, on item 12, I want to thank Mayor Erdogan, Vice Mayor Bartlett, and Councilor Kasserwani for joining me in condemning a pattern of attacks targeting Black political and community leaders. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Councilmember Han. Thank you very much. Um, I wanted to first shout out for item six, the increase in wage rate, wage ranges for seasonal camp staff classifications. Um, this is the kind of position that tends to not be particularly well paid. And I'm always very excited when we are lifting the bottom because I think everybody knows that uh, even Berkeley's um, minimum wage is not a living wage. So I just wanted to appreciate that. Uh, item 12, Councilmember Kaplan, uh, really wanted to thank you for putting that forward. We heard uh, earlier during a public comment about uh, hate speech being directed at people in our community. We know that there have been these terrible uh, harassment and racist harassment of council members in Oakland. And I just think we really need to call this out every time it happens and, and show support for everyone in the community and certainly for our fellow elected officials who endure things like that. So I really appreciate your bringing that forward. Um, Item 14, Councilmember Robinson, the daylighting policy. I really want to thank you for that and appreciate being a co-sponsor. It's kind of the same kind of idea as the Great Streets Initiative that I put forward in the before COVID time. Uh, similar idea, uh, we need, we have some really basic, simple safety improvements that we can do essentially with a can of paint. And um, we need to get moving on that because the daylighting is a major contributor to increased safety for pedestrians and for people on bikes. Um, I wanted to suggest that when, the, when staff does a study that they also look at costing. Um, I was surprised with the um, bright streets costs were higher than I imagined. Because it turns out that a lot of small uh, moves all over the city um, add up. And I just want to make sure that we're able to allocate the right of money for this, right amount of money for this when the time comes so we can get this done. 
Um, I also wanted to just um, on item 18, which I believe got moved to consent, right? Uh, I just wanted to shout out for my youth commissioner, my previous youth commissioner, Sam Kaplan Pettis. Uh, he was the one who brought this forward originally as an idea. And I just really, I appreciate that initiative. I think it's a great idea. Um, I know there were a lot of different ideas about how to accomplish it. And I think we've landed well, but I just want to appreciate um, a young person in our community coming forward with a great idea like this. And I think it's a wonderful occasion when it actually gets enacted. So that's it. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, are there any other councilmembers that wish to speak on the consent calendar? Okay, if not, we'll now take public comment on the consent calendar. If there's any um, attendee that would like to speak on any consent item, uh, please raise your hand at this time. Okay, thank you. Well, our first uh, speaker, Andrew Talb. Actually, before I do that, before I go to Zoom, are there any um, members of the public in the boardroom at 1231 Addison that would like to speak to an item on the consent calendar? Yes, I believe one or two speakers. Okay, um, and I don't think they need to fill out any cards. So if you can, anyone who wishes to speak on a consent item, please come forward to the the podium, and we welcome your comments. Uh, Karen Morasovic, I'm really trying hard to find what I could possibly number I can fit this into. So let's call it number eleven. Mm -hmm. So um, I just want to respond that in term in terms of of housing, shelter for uh, women who are victims of domestic violence. People now, women are now being sent to Antioch in Pittsburgh, not even in this county, because a safe place in Oakland has been full all during COVID. And whether it comes from uh, Measure P money, as the Homeless Services Panel of Experts has uh, uh, has recommended last year and this year, or it comes from home ARP money, of which we have 2.7 million uh, uh, coming in. This is an, this is an immediate need that we establish uh, housing for gender-based violence. Uh, they have no place. Women have no place to safely go in our community. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Are there any other members of the public in the boardroom at 1231 Addison that would like to speak on a consent calendar item? If so, please come forward to the podium. Last call for consent calendar public comment. Yes, we have one speaker coming. Thank you. Hi. Um, this is related to the intersection daylighting policy and dangerous intersections and looking at um, just how things should be studied. Council, Honorable Mayor, Fareed, Public, my name is Laurel Kaczynski. I'm a homeowner at 1307 Dwight Way. I live there with my husband, my two children under the age of four, and my dog. Like many other families in Berkeley, we have one car, multiple bikes, and a double stroller. We walk, bike, scoot, and stroll in the neighborhood at least three times daily. Since December, we have been in discussion with the city regarding a proposed bike route directly in front of our house, connecting to Bonar to Maple Street. We were told the city was considering two options, one with a bike box directly in front of our driveway where bikes would queue and wait, the other with a bike box on the opposite side of the street, which is not in front of any driveways. 
the city told us they approved a modified option with the bike lane and box directly in front of our driveway. The neighbors do not support this alternative. It's not safe. It creates a new traffic hazard between cyclists, pedestrians, and vehicles at the base of a driveway. I am here tonight to warn you about these dangerous conditions and that ignoring them will create future liability for the city. We encourage you to hire a transportation planner and assign a civil engineer within your department who is willing to produce plans to study these traffic patterns and come up with a safe solution for the multimodal use of this busy, misaligned intersection. This is not about a bike culture war. It's about transparency. We look forward to your response to questions, including what the modified plan looks like, public comment that was taken, when the decision was approved, and by what governing body, if the council approved this plan and the construction schedule. Thank you. Thank you. Um, are there any other members of the public in the boardroom at 1231 Addison who would like to speak on the set, on a consent item? No, no more speakers. Okay, thank you. We'll go to the speakers on Zoom. So our first speaker on Zoom is Andrew Talbot. Hi, uh, thank you. I just wanted to say I really appreciate the, the item, especially on social housing. Um, this is really important for Berkeley to show the support um, for, for these sorts of bills in Sacramento, that um, we could have a public housing that will allow us to build cross-subsidized uh, housing for, for folks in our community would be amazing. Um, and secondly, uh, to echo uh, the talk, discussion about Hoboken and Jersey City, a lot of their ability to reduce traffic violence and traffic death has been um, to be able to do straightforward things like this. Berkeley can have that record too. So I appreciate us adopting these things and hopefully they can see some effect in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll go to Rebecca Mirvish, followed by Megan Gordon. Hello, everyone. My name is Rebecca Mervish. I'm the president of Telegraph for People. Um, to For item number 14, I just want to express our extreme enthusiasm for daylighting. We are so excited to see that happen in Berkeley. And uh, on, number, on item 18, uh, congratulations to Sam Kaplan-Pettis. It's about damn time. We're so excited for you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, um, we'll go now to Megan Gordon, followed by Peter Soloski. Hi, this is Megan. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Hi, thank you. My name is Megan Gordon, and I am one of the co-directors of the housing practice at the East Bay Community Law Center. And um, I know I saw many of you yesterday. I guess you can't see me, um, but here I am again. Um, I just want to commend the mayor and city council for considering um, the proposed increase to funding for the housing retention program contract with eviction defense center. I'd also like to commend the city council for passing the first reading of uh, proposed changes to Berkeley's eviction moratorium. We know that the county moratorium will be lifting in 60 days, which was discussed earlier today um, by the Board of Supervisors. Um, and we are, I'm hopeful that there will be a second reading of the Berkeley eviction moratorium, which will solidify the timeline there. Um, but we know that these protections, while incredibly important, can't do all of the work. We need flexible financial assistance to ensure that tenants and landlords can receive money that is needed. 
Um, we know that folks, communities of color, especially marginalized folks, have been disproportionately impacted by the negative economic impacts of COVID. And these funds are there to support those families and communities and try to keep as many people in Berkeley housed and also to help landlords and tenants avoid the unnecessary and often very difficult battle um, fought out in legal spheres. So I would like to just once again support this increase in funding and thank the mayor and city council for considering it. Thank you all and have a good night. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Peter Solosky followed by Cecilia Lunapara. Peter Solosky, you should now be able to speak. Thank you and good evening members of the council. Uh, this is Peter Solosky from the Eviction Defense Center. Uh, I'm here tonight to encourage the city council to pass the urgently needed relief funding with the housing retention program. Uh, to add to that program for Berkeley renters. I'd also like to thank this body for passing the transition period of the city's eviction moratorium last night. Um, thank you all for your, your comments and your work at that meeting last night. Uh, and what that did is it's going to buy time for many tenants who are in dire need. And now we need to ensure that we use that time well for outreach and to get this money through the housing retention program out into the community. Uh, this is a win-win for tenants and for their landlords. Uh, the landlords are directly paid by this funding. We believe this program has been a big success throughout the pandemic. It reduces the stress and cost of litigation. It reduces the cost to society of increased displacement and homelessness. The Eviction Defense Center and I believe the East Bay Community Law Center have seen firsthand how it's made such a difference for hundreds of households uh, struggling through COVID in Berkeley. But we hope this is someone, everyone, something that everyone can get behind and support. Uh, we thank you for your consideration of this item. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll go next to Cecilia Lunapara, followed by Sam. And Cecilia, you should now be able to speak. Hi, good evening, everybody. Um, I'm Cecilia Lunaparra, Vice Chair of the Environment and Climate Commission and President of the Cal Berkeley Democrats. Um, on behalf of our club and in favor of youth representation in local government, I'm here to express our strong support for adding two youth appointees on the Environment and Climate Commission. Um, thank you so much for adding this item to the consent calendar, and I second Councilmember Robinson's huge shout out for Sam KP. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Sam, followed by Janice Chen. Hello, Council. Um, thank you so much for putting this item on consent. I am Sam. Um, and I'm super grateful for all the council members who have helped us get to this point. Thank you, Councilmember Taplin and Harrison and Robinson and Kesarwani. And well, I talked to most of you about it, but yes. Um, and thank you very much. I look forward to uh, adding youth to the rest of the commissions. And I know everyone's super excited about that. So have a wonderful rest of your night. Thank you. We'll go next to Janice Ching, followed by Mark Hedlund. Good evening, and thank you for um, giving me this opportunity. I wanted to speak about item one on the consent calendar about the affordable housing mitigation fees. But I find it interesting to hear the discussion about item 11 about the social housing, because I really feel that the best way to get mixed income um, housing is to get the 20% affordable units built into the housing that developers are proposing. So I really wanted to, to thank my council member, Ben Bartlett, 
and Councilmember Kate Harrison for standing up for the affordable housing fees to get the appropriate fees that our city needs. Item one um, has the 5,000 square foot exemption. So any building built um, up to five, uh, sorry, um, as high as 5,000 square feet will be exempted from paying the fees. Um, I feel that you have a study being done to decide what kinds of discounts are necessary to make housing feasible. And instead of waiting for that study to come through, seven of you voted to give massive discounts to the developers at this time. And I feel that any um, unnecessary discounts given only incentivize, incentivizes builders to not include the affordable units in their buildings. And this goes directly against getting our mixed income housing that, um, that you're talking about. So I do still think that 3,500 square feet is a, a high enough waiver um, to give people that discount. So, you know, I'm still, I just wanted to voice that 5,000 square feet is too high and the sliding scale discount for up to 12,000 square feet is outrageous. So um, thank you for hearing my comments. Thank you. Okay, we'll go to Mark Hedlund followed by Ann Omura. Mark, you should not be able to speak. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, I want to, I'm a member of the Environment and Climate Commission, and I wanted to express support for the uh, youth members being added. Um, I really appreciate uh, everybody who worked on this. Um, I also wanted to thank um, Council Members Robinson and Humbert for bringing forward the daylighting provision. Uh, I think it's a huge and important change, and as uh, Council Member Humbert mentioned, has seen great results in other cities of similar size and characteristics to Berkeley. So I'm very hopeful that when we do have the staff to take it on, that it will become something that benefits all of Berkeley. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll go next to Anna Murrow. Hi, this is Anne again from the Eviction Defense Center. I wanted to quickly thank Mayor Ariguin, the City Council, Dr. Lisa Warhus, Jennifer Vasquez, and Maya Anderson for their commitment to the Rental Assistance Program, which is probably the most important tool we have right now to fight displacement during the financial crisis caused by the pandemic. Our office serves all cities in Alameda County and parts of Contra Costa County, and hands down the City of Berkeley with its mayor, its leadership, City Council, and City staff has led the way in the handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. From balanced legislation to protect tenants to aggressive rental assistance program to get rent money directly to landlords. On behalf of the 700 plus low-income households in Berkeley who've received rental assistance and had their housing stabilized, I commend you and I thank you. But obviously we need more money. As you heard, we ran out. So we really appreciate um, the funding up tonight on the consent calendar. Our wait list has grown in the past few days to 63,000. The need for this funding is so enormous. And given the length of the pandemic, there is a need for deeper levels of funding. This 300,000 will last us at least to the end of the fiscal year, but we will probably be back with our hands out again. Um, and I wanted to give you a quick snapshot of where your funding is going and who is in most need of aid. In this last round of funding, 25% of recipients were senior citizens, 70% were disabled, 41% were single moms with young children in the home. This is who we are here to protect. I know this is who you are committed to protect. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you for your work to help protect these very vulnerable communities. Thank you very much. Okay, we're going to next to Todd Andrew, followed by Kelly Hammergren. Oh, hi, Council Member and uh, uh, or <laughs> Mr. Mayor and Council Members. Thank you uh, for the time tonight. I just wanted to uh, thank Council Member Taplin and the co-sponsors for item 12, resolution condemning pattern of attacks targeting black political and community leaders. It seems very appropriate on the last day of Black History Month. Uh, I also wanted to uh, express my appreciation for council members Humbert's um, comments on item 13. It seems like there are some things uh, that we need to understand a little better there. Uh, aside from it being a, a national policy issue, I appreciate his concerns about the other specifics of that particular item uh, at the federal level. And then on number 14, I wanted to thank so much Councilmember Robinson and uh, all the co-sponsors for the daylighting um, initiative and urge you that when it does become a real possibility and when you're setting priorities to find a way to also, uh, in addition to parking, moving parking back, uh, to create sight lines that will make intersections much safer, find a way to address parking strips, uh, private installations on public parking strips, uh, whether it be through some sort of incentive program uh, and, and subsidy program to offer to the homeowners to rid those uh, of us, uh, rid us of those sight line impediments, uh, or whether the city just take them out and build the, the property owner. Thanks so much. Have a good night. Thank you. We'll go next to Kelly Hammergren. Uh, thank you. I'd like to follow up on the comment made by Janice Ching. I too am very disappointed that the council majority voted to give international and national investors, these developers, uh, discounts in the in-lieu mitigation fee. Um, this is a shame when we need affordable housing for this community that we are giving discounts and that we discounted the fee to uh, the 2020 rate instead of taking the 2022 rate. And I want to thank council members Bartlett and Harrison for, vo for voting in opposition. I would also like to comment on item four. And while I support tree planting, uh, I am very concerned about the types, the species of trees that are being planted in this city. Uh, we really have a crisis in nature, in biodiversity, in ecosystems, habitat, and biodiversity is not taking some tree like a ginkgo from another part of the world that does not support anything and taking that and using space that could be uh, a native tree that would support our birds and wildlife. And it, it is really a travesty that we are filling this city with non-native trees that are not going to support our, our local species and migrating birds. Just think, when have you ever seen a bird sitting in a ginkgo tree? And the reason they're not there 
is there's no food or nourishment for them in a ginkgo tree. Thank you. Okay, thank you. We're gonna say Eric Magana, followed by the caller with the number ending 384. Eric, uh, you should not be able to speak. Uh, good evening, Mayor. Good evening, uh, Council members. Uh, my name is Eric Bongania. I'm the case manager and project manager at the Eviction Defense Center. Um, almost the last three years, uh, I've been in charge of the rentals, uh, house, sorry, the housing retention program um, that has been provided by the city of Berkeley. I want to thank everybody that has been in charge of assisting all these tenants that um, our executive director, Anna Morris, stated earlier in hopes that we continue to do this um, going forward. Um, $300,000 will definitely help out um, tenants and um, continue to stay in their homes. But as stated, um, for the physical year um, and after that, we hope that we also receive more funding for that. Um, I want to um, thank um, Mayette, Jennifer, um, uh, for allowing for helping us out with the program continued uh, to make it one of the best programs I believe in the entire state um, throughout the entire time of working here the, the city of Berkeley has assisted uh, many tenants and landlords in order to keep them in their home uh, this program has been um, very great uh, one of my favorite things to do here at work um, 738 I'm here in the office right now and i I'm glad that I can say that thanks to the city of Berkeley, uh, we have assisted hundreds and will continue to assist hundreds of tenants in the city of Berkeley to keep them in their home. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for all your work. We really appreciate it. We'll go next to caller with the number ending 384, followed by Vanessa Medero. Caller with the number ending 384, please press star six to immune. Good evening. My name is Charles. Mr. Mayor, council members, thank you for, for allowing me to speak. As someone who has been directly impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic and representing a household that has suffered as such, I wanted to express my thanks for the, the $300,000 that's going into that fund. Uh, my application is in. Your, your efforts make a huge difference, and I'm hoping that I will not need that in the very near future, but it has been a rough road for a number of, of residents in this in this city. Uh, and I'm grateful, very grateful for your assistance. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go to Vanessa Marrero. Hi, good evening. My name is Vanessa Marrero. I'm an indigenous Latina that serves the public as an advocate, a nonprofit leader, a tenant, a parent of a child with a disability and a transgender child. And I moved to Berkeley as a single mother in 2004. So I wanna commend the mayor and council member Harrison and all those that advocated for passing and actually passing the first reading of the eviction moratorium. I think that is gonna be a crucial step as we um, move forward, as well as increasing housing retention. And as we all know that addresses displacement, homelessness and strengthen stabilization of low-income seniors and individuals with disabilities. Thank you for all you're doing. I also want to make sure that um, I advocate um, and support the resolution condemning a pattern of attacks targeting black political and community leaders. 
Um, and again, thank you so much for all of your work. Thank you. Um, that was the last speaker on Zoom who wished to speak on the consent calendar. So I'll ask, are there any additional members of the public who would like to speak on a consent item? If so, please raise your hand. Okay, seeing no additional speakers, um, we'll close public comment on the consent calendar. I'll bring it back to the city council for further discussion. Council member Wengraff. Uh, thank you. Um, I just want to correct the record. I am the proud appointer of Sam Kaplan Pettis to the Youth Commission. I appointed him in March of 2019 until the time when he moved out of the city. So I had the privilege of working with Sam. He's an extraordinary young man. And I'm very glad that his item was passed tonight. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, on the item that we added to add an additional $300,000 for the Hazard Retention Program, I'd like to add um, Councilmember Hahn, Councilmember Harrison, and ask Councilmember Wengraff if you would like to be added as a co-sponsor of the item for the additional Hazard Retention Funds. Yes, thank you very much, Mayor, for that invitation. I okay. appreciate it. So we'll note that for the record, and with that, I'll make a motion to approve the consent calendar as amended. Second. Second. Thank you. We have a motion to second. Is there any further discussion? Seeing none, I'd like to ask the city clerk to please call the roll. Councilmember Kessarwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. And Mayor Aragine? Yes. Motion carries. Okay, the consent calendar is now approved. Thank you. We'll proceed now to the action calendar. Item 15 this is a public hearing on the ZAP appeal for 1262 Francisco Street um, Administrative Use Permit ZP 2021-006. Um, so we'll now proceed to item 15. And I'd like to discuss the, um, the process for this hearing tonight. Um, first, we'll ask members of the council if they have any ex parte disclosures to make for the record. Members of the council are also required to submit any ex parte disclosures in writing to the office of the city clerk. I think the um, city clerk has any written disclosures with them in the board chamber for review. They're a matter of public record. Thereafter, we'll proceed to a presentation from the planning department on the appeal and their recommendation. Then we'll open the public hearing and the appellant will be given five minutes to address the city council um, on their appeal. And then we'll give the applicant, project applicant, five minutes to address the council as well. And then we'll open the public comment portion of the public hearing at which time any member of the public may address the council uh, to express their opinions on the appeal. After which time we'll um, close, potentially close the public hearing and take action. So um, I'd like to ask, are there any ex parte disclosures from members of the city council on the ZAB appeal for 1262 Francisco Street? Uh, Councilor Kisawani? Yes, I um, I met with the applicant in the fall and he at that time had described the nature of his remodeling work. Thank, okay, you. thank you. Are there any other members of the council would like to make any ex parte disclosures on the ZAB appeal for uh, 1262 Francisco Street? If so, please raise your hand. Okay, seeing no additional councilors wishing to make ex parte disclosures. With that, we'll now proceed to the presentation for the planning department on the ZAB appeal. And I'd like to turn the floor over to Jerome Klein, Director of Planning Development. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Good evening, council members. Presenting for staff this evening will be Katrina Lapira. 
Here, let me go ahead and share my screen. All right, good evening, council members. As mentioned, my name is Katrina Lapira, and I'm the planner for the project before you, an appeal of the Zoning Adjustment Board's decision to approve an AUP that would allow for a residential addition to an existing single family dwelling unit. In this presentation, I'll share information about the project site, the proposed project that is being appealed, the project timeline, issues raised in the appeal to council, and staff's recommendation. The subject site is located mid-block along Francisco Street between Webster and Chestnut Street in North Berkeley. The site is also located two blocks east of San Pablo Avenue and a block and a half west from North Berkeley BART Station. The surrounding area is primarily composed of single to two family dwelling units. The subject project that was approved by the zoning officer and upheld by ZAB would modify the original AUP by adding 40 square feet to the office located on the first floor and a balcony located on the second floor accessed off of the primary bedroom. The latter is over 14 feet in height and therefore requires an AUP. As depicted on the southern elevations here, the subject balcony is located atop the existing roof of the first floor. The proposed project is consistent with all underlying development standards of the zoning district and does not exacerbate any non-conformities. Subsequent to the approval of the previous application or the original application, the subject AUP was submitted in February of 2021. After the application was deemed complete, a notice of administrative decision was issued in August of 2022. That same month, two appeals were filed by residents at 1256 Francisco, the neighbors to the left of the project site. The basis of these appeals that were presented at ZAB focused primarily on privacy, views, and noise concerns related to the proposed balcony. At the ZAB hearing on October 13th, 2022, ZAB discussed the issue of privacy at length and further conditioned the project to ensure that the privacy screen will be attached to the balcony for the life of the project. Ultimately, ZAB upheld the zoning officer's decision to approve the AUP. On November 11th of 2022, an appeal of ZAB's decision was filed by one resident of 1256 Francisco. The issues raised in the appeal include ex parte communications and the character of the applicant. Focusing on the first issue, the appellant asserts that a member of ZAB failed to disclose ex parte with the applicant. As defined in the Berkeley Commissioner's Manual, ex parte contacts include any communication between a commissioner and a person that is party to the public hearing. In the context of this project, the two parties involved include the appellants and the applicants. Friends or other persons not authorized to act on the application are not considered a party. As such, staff has determined that no ex parte or recusal was required in the instance described by the appellant. Looking at the second appeal issue, staff cannot comment on the character of the applicant as it is outside the purview of zoning. However, it is important to note that any inaccuracies in the application were corrected through an iterative review process that is standard to all zoning permit applications. 
because ZAB determined that the proposed project meets the required findings in the zoning ordinance. Staff recommends that City Council uphold a public hearing and upon conclusion, adopt the resolution affirming ZAB's decision to approve the subject AUP. This concludes staff's presentation. I'm available for questions. And let me know if you'd like me to refer to any of the slides presented here. Thank you so very much. Okay, I will now proceed to um, the public hearing. And um, first we will give the appellant, I believe John Vinopal, um, an opportunity to address the council and he will have five minutes uh, to present. John, let me promote you to panelists. Give me one second. So you should now be on the panelist side. And um, uh, if you need to share screen also, you have that ability as a panelist. And uh, we'll turn the floor over to you and you may begin at any time. Okay, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Do we have a, a timer that you'll be running or should I run my own timer here? Uh, I, can, I can ask I the uh, city clerk to pull up the timer. Um, Okay, that's that's okay. fine. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Council, if you'd like to read along, uh, you should be able to find this text in your supplemental packet too. Great. Uh, my name is John Vinopal, and I ask Council to remand this matter to the ZAB and for ZAB Vice Chair Shoshana O'Keefe to either recuse or to disclose ex parte made on the applicant's behalf as required by the Berkeley Commissioner's Manual and by the Berkeley Municipal Code 2.06.110. Uh, in case it isn't clear, this AUP modification has nothing to do with housing. It just adds a roof deck. And here's how we wound up at ZAB. The applicant, Jonathan Miller, my wife Amy's neighbor of 20 years, brought her, the owner of this property, the original AUP, which adds a second story master suite and house remodel. Amy signed off on the project with zero objections. At that time, Mr. Miller told us in person he had considered but decided against a roof deck. After approval of the original AUP, applicants filed to build a roof deck. They let the city notify us about this project. The proposed deck was 260 square feet, big enough for 50 people. It had no privacy mitigations. It looked directly down into our second story bedroom from a distance of 12 feet. And the AUP claimed, and I quote, the proposed project has support from the adjoining neighbors. This was untrue and unfortunately was triggering to a survival of sexual assault. This has been challenging for everyone, the applicants included. For our part, we have tried to make this work. We put forward four different deck designs that would preserve our privacy while providing our neighbor views of San Francisco and offer to help fund them. The applicants de declined to discuss our designs. Two weeks prior to our mediation session, the applicant submitted a second design to planning, still with no privacy wall. Months later, after postponing the project, Mr. Miller told planning in an email that my wife had agreed to a roof deck during mediation. This was untrue. It took 16 months for the applicants to submit a design that included a permanent privacy wall. Even then, it needed to be modified by ZAB to prevent someone from leaning on the balcony and simply looking into our bedroom window. So back to Zab, how do we know that there was ex parte? Because Mr. Miller himself told us about it. In March of 2021, he wrote, look, I could be a total a-hole and cram this modified AUP down your throats just to spite you, but that's not who I am. I consulted with one of my best friends whose high school buddy is the chair of Berkeley Zab 
And given our situation, she assured him that while you could delay my construction, you would lose any type of eventual challenge. The applicant's best friend's high school buddy turned out to be ZAB member Shoshana O'Keefe. Vice Chair O'Keefe stood in as acting chair for our ZAB appeal. Acting Chair O'Keefe did not disclose the ex parte. The planning department does not dispute the ex parte, but puts forward a narrow reading of the commissioner's manual interpreting the word includes as meaning includes only or limited to. The municipal code, on the other hand, unambiguously states that all ex parte must be disclosed. Ethically speaking, we all know what's required. If you receive ex parte, you disclose. If you're a friend of the applicant or of the appellant, you disclose. All we're asking for is a fair, a legal, an ethical, and impartial process. I ask counsel to remand this to the ZAB. Let's have a do-over and just get it done with. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. You have an additional one minute and 13 seconds, Mr. Vinopal, if there's anything else you'd like to add. I'm just sorry I'm here. Okay. Um, thank you. So um, I think that concludes the appellant's presentation. So we will um, now go to the applicant, I think is represented by Jonathan Miller and Sonny Grewal. Um, it, Jonathan Miller, I see is here. Mr. Mr. Miller, move you over to panelist. And Sunny Grewal as well. There's two, so I'll promote both. And whichever one is the. The right one, you can unmute yourself. Let me see. Hello, I see that you can hear me. This is Jonathan Miller, 1262 Francisco Street. Yeah, you um, should be on the other side. I'm moving Sunny Grewal over. Sunny Graywall, sorry. Yeah, I'm trying to promote them to panelists and I'm having difficulty. Can just, yes, okay. It says decline to be promoted to panelists. Are they presenting? I, I think he want uh, Sonny did want to speak, uh, but I'm happy to start. Okay, hold on one second. I'm just trying to they should uh, Sonny should be on the other side now. So okay, so they can unmute, turn on their camera, share a screen. So um so you have five minutes to present on your, your application. And I'll turn it over to you as to how you want to use use that time best. Okay, thank you, Mr. Mayor, I'm Mayor Aragine, and City Council members. I'm Jonathan Miller, homeowner of 1262 Francisco Street, and the uh, one of the co-applicants uh, on this matter. Um, it's nice to be part of civic discourse. Uh, unfortunate under these circumstances, but um, thanks for your time. Um, you know, they're listening to the meeting. There seems to be a lot more important matters than this, so I won't take up too much of your time. I just want to present the addition remodel project of 1260 Francisco Street, 1262 Francisco Street, as a modest, tasteful, and uh, in full compliance of city codes and regulations, as was unanimously determined by the ZAB in the previous appeal hearing. Um, I really don't want to make this personal in any way. I don't want to turn this into a legal struggle. Uh, I, I think that seems very frivolous to me. Um, I urge the council and the mayor to uphold the ZAB's ruling and to dismiss the appellant's grounds for appeal. Their claims are false and without merit. 
And uh, in addition, their behavior throughout the appeals process has been unnecessarily contentious, unreasonable, and at times inappropriate. I don't need to give you any details. I'm not going to get into that. Um, I would also like to vouch for the personal and professional character and behavior of the architect for my projects, Mr. Sonny Graywall of GNS Architecture. He has been kind, patient, responsible, thorough, and professional throughout the project. He's a real pro's pro. And I really think it's unfortunate that he had to withstand the onslaught of criticism and, frankly, public slander that the appellants have levied upon him. I'm confident that the council will see through my neighbor's frivolous accusations and that Mr. Graywall's reputation will shine through untarnished. Also, I'd like to disclose my ex parte communication via email with the members of city council, as well as the mayor, and in person with council member Fisarwani, as has been previously disclosed. Um, and I'm ha happy to answer any questions the council or mayor may have regarding my projects, to the best of my knowledge. Thanks again for your time. Sunny, did you want to say something? I don't know if he's... Uh, Sunny should be on the um attendee side i see they're they're unmuted um but let Same. me unmute them on the panelist side there's there were two sunny gray walls so i'm yeah, not sure which sorry one. Uh, am i coming through now yes you are okay thank you uh well i think uh, jonathan spoke very well about everything and uh uh katrina kind of explained how we got to this point i just want to all i want to say really is that we did listen to the neighbors. We reduced the original balcony, which was approximately 270 square feet down to what is currently now 108 square feet. Uh, we will add, uh, in the last submission we had, we added the privacy screen, but they wanted to be a little bit more. So we'll add a little bit more privacy screen the way it was, uh, uh, the condition that was put on the project. And in terms of any deception on our part, you know, Everything that we submitted and any inaccuracies that were in our plans, uh, we had to resubmit things. We submitted a, a survey. We corrected everything that we could possibly correct to the point where then planning and said, yes, your application is complete. We have everything. So I, felt, I feel like we've done things that were asked of us. All we're trying to do here is add a balcony, 108 square feet off of the master bedroom. It's kind of like a, a semi-private uh, uh, balcony because it's off the master bedroom. It's not off of the living room, you know, family room or anything like that. And it's not designed for, you know, 50 people. And, you know, my client, Jonathan, has no intention of wanting to, you know, uh, look into the neighbor's uh, windows or, or backyard or anything. And we'll put up the screening. It'll be a permanent screen that's going to be appropriate for everyone's you know, whoever, whatever they want, we'll do it. So uh, I hope you understand, you know, that we've done everything we could possibly do to make this happen. And we're not asking for anything unreasonable. It's just a balcony off of the master bedroom. So I'm happy to ask, uh, answer any questions that you may have. Thank you. Um, how much time do we have, city clerk? I, I, the, the, I don't see the timer. 50 seconds. Okay. You want to use the remaining 50 seconds, um, uh, applicant, or do you, are you, do you wish to conclude your presentation? No, okay. I, I'm fine. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, there, there may be questions from the council at the conclusion of public comment. Um, thank you very much. Okay. 
Um, so we'll now move to the public comment portion of this public hearing on the ZAP appeal for 1262 Francisco Street. If there's any uh, member of the public that wishes to speak on this item, please raise your hand at this time. I'll first ask, are there any speakers in the boardroom at 1231 Addison who wish to speak um, as part of the public comment period on the ZAP appeal for 1262 Francisco Street? Mr. Clerk, anyone who raised their hand or is coming forward? No, no speakers in the boardroom. Okay, thank you. So we'll go to the speakers on Zoom. Um, the first speaker is Andrew Talbot. Hi, I just want to say the same thing I say with every ZAB appeal. This is a ridiculous process that should never happen. Complete waste of time for everyone involved. Um, any money that was spent from staff and other folks should be going to something much more valuable like the eviction defense folks. They were talking about um, earlier. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to AB. AB, you should not be able to speak. Please unmute yourself if you Hello, wish to speak. Hello, this, hi. This is Amy Baldwin. I'm the owner of the adjacent house. I just wanted to add some perspective. Um, the city has enabled predatory behavior because it lacks objective design standards to protect and guarantee privacy, and the city disregards dishonesty in the application process. As a survivor of sexual assault, I have had a massive amount of trauma and anxiety because my neighbor basically lied about my consent multiple times to the city in writing in order to have a roof deck which severely invaded my privacy because the city doesn't restrict this and he felt entitled to it. This dragged on for well over a year during the process because it took that long for the applicants to finally provide a privacy wall with the roof deck design. Then the planning department approved this ineffective privacy wall design, which did not actually entirely protect my privacy. The ZAB did address the design flaw, but we did not actually get an openly honest ZAB appeal hearing because the acting chair did not disclose ex parte. I have never objected to my neighbor having a roof deck. However, I do object to this process that I've been dragged through. I have needed to repeatedly fight for my own privacy and sense of safety in my own home because the city process either can't or won't do this automatically. I will say it again. My neighbor basically lied about my consent multiple times because he felt entitled to invade my privacy and the city enabled this predatory behavior because it lacks design standards to protect privacy and has a standoff policy towards dishonesty. That's my comment. Go next to Rebecca Mirvish. Please unmute yourself if you wish to speak. Hi, just very briefly, I also want to say I think this is ridiculous. Berkeley is a city with 100,000 over 100,000 people in it. We do not need to all be sitting through a ZAP appeal. Um, and that's why we need public comment reform. So uh, I'll be supporting Cal Dems' item, a suggestion for public comment reform. Thank you. Okay, our last speaker on Zoom, and I'll ask if there are any other speakers on the ZAB appeal for 1262 Francisco Street, please raise your hand, is Jody Ravel. And Jody, you should now be able to speak. Hi, good evening, everybody. Um, I am also a resident of Francisco Street, a neighbor um, of both of the speakers earlier. Um, and I just wanted to chime in to say, I, I know this has been going on a very long time. I know everyone's frustrated and really wanting to do the right thing. Um, I do have to say that I know Jonathan has really, uh, Mr. Miller has really um, spent a lot of time and energy and money trying to make things work. I think he is truly um, intending 
to be a good neighbor and to not invade anyone's privacy and to just, you know, scale back his project as much as possible. So, you know, I wanted to put a good word in for him and also, you know, Amy family, I'm sorry to hear of your trauma and thinking, you know, if there's anything you can do on your end or your side to um, add and increase privacy from your perspective, that would be above and beyond um, the regulations. Maybe that could help as well. I'm happy to brainstorm or, or be supportive as, as well. Thank you. I don't see any additional raised hands to speak on the ZAP appeal for 1262 Francisco Street. So um, that, unless there are any other speakers in the boardroom to speak on the ZAP appeal. No. Um, I will now make a motion to close the public hearing. Second. Okay, can we please call the roll and close in the public hearing? Councilmember Kesarwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. And Mayor Aragin? Yes. The what? public hearing is now closed. Before I go to Councilor Hahn, I'll just say I appreciate the condition the ZAB added to add a privacy screen. I think that addresses the privacy issues that were raised. Um, and I'll go to Councilor Hahn. Thank you very much. I would like to move adoption of a resolution affirming the decision of the Zoning Adjustment Board to approve AUP as noted in the report, to modify the additional AUP as noted in the report, and to add 40 square feet on the first floor and a balcony on the second floor. Second. Thank okay. you. Seconded by Councilor Harrison. Thank you. Councilor Bartlett? Uh, thank you. I just wanted, wanted to say to the um, the the respondent, the applicant, <laughs> the respondent, um, is, you know, I, I, I understand the, the concerns about privacy, but, um, you know, hearing about the screen just makes me feel as if the situation is resolved. Um, and, you know, as, as uncomfortable as it is to even weigh into these intensely personal moments between neighbors, it, it is something that comes that comes across our, our purview. And, um, you know, the best we can hope to do is try to make a fair result for both for both parties. And it is my opinion, and I believe my colleagues as well, that uh, the screen um, is, is, is a necessary function and will work to secure your privacy. Yeah. Thank you. Unless there's any further discussion, we have a motion, which is a staff recommendation to um, uh, approve the AUP and deny the appeal. Let's call the roll. On the motion. Councilmember Kesarwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. And Mayor Aragin? Yes. The motion carries. Okay, the motion carries. Thank you. Um, as I anticipate an extensive presentation, on the next item, 16, the City of Berkeley Employer Choice Initiative, um, I'm going to suggest we take a 10-minute captioning break for our remote captioner. We'll be back at 8.18. Thank you. Recording stopped.
Okay. Um, our capture to break has elapsed. Um, I'd like to ask the members of the council to please rejoin us. Recording in progress. So we are now back in session and we'll now proceed to item 16, the City of Berkeley Employer of Choice Initiative. Now I'd like to turn the floor over to our city manager, D. Williams Ridley. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, and thank you, Council. Um, I'm going to have our consultant, Kathy Capriola, go ahead and load our PowerPoint presentation, and I'll go ahead and get started. Okay. So, good evening, Mayor and Council. This evening, I am joined by Municipal Resource Group, Emerging Consultants, Kathy Capriola, Craig Whittem and Marcy Scott. I will highlight their experience a little later in the presentation. Ms. Capriola and I will be presenting this evening on the Employer of Choice Initiative. Tonight's presentation will consist of several discussion topic areas. First, I will highlight my reasons for this initiative and recap the steps we've taken to date. I'll spend a few moments talking about what success looks like. Ms. Capriola will then um, introduce the initiative itself and discuss our current environment and approach to the work. She'll also provide an overview of our roadmap, address our city's strengths and key findings. And then I will close the presentation with our initial requests for resources and a look at our 90-day action plans, followed by questions and answers. I appreciate the time tonight as there is a lot of content um, reflecting the input of our staff and all of um, our employees and leadership, not all of our employees, but a majority of folks that we were able to reach through focus groups, but we will walk through the presentation this evening. This will not be the first and only time that our staff will be able to participate in this process, but I do believe very strongly in what we're doing and the information that we've gathered from our employees. I also believe that this quote by Frances Hesselbein reflects the challenge before us as a city. She states basically, culture does not change because we desire to change it. Culture changes when the organization is transformed. The culture actually reflects the realities of people working together every day. And I believe that that reflects where we are and where we're headed. Next slide, please. So why an employer of choice initiative? I know a lot of folks are asking that question and what does it mean? As we all know, there are extreme challenges in recruitment and retention nationwide. Berkeley does not stand alone in that light. Today, like so many organizations across the nation, the city, Berkeley, we're grappling to with significant vacancies and experiencing a crisis in, effective, in effectively recruiting and retaining employees. This issue affects our ability to serve our community and to accomplish the priorities of this council. I recognize that this is a call to action. There was an imminent need to quickly address the state of our staffing and experiences of staff who are here and to reestablish a roadmap to move the city forward in a simple and swift manner. As leaders of this amazing city, I believe we've gotta be intentional about identifying new methods of recruiting, retaining and engaging our workforce. Employers adapting and advancing their organizations, they're truly in danger of losing take this opportunity to adapt and stand out in this field. In today's market, 
candidates have choices and they are looking for opportunities where they can do really meaningful work and participate in a positive and productive and healthy work environment. To the extent that we are not attracting and retaining talent, this directly impacts the provisions of quality services to our community, including accomplishing key priorities at this council, our commissions, and other partners. As the constant turnover and resources required for recruiting, onboarding, and training, it pulls our precious resources from the important work we do for the public. Next slide, please. So to address these issues, I've worked with the leadership team to determine a course of action. Our goal was not only to mitigate the impacts of COVID, along with the challenging trends related to hiring and retaining staff, but to be aspirational and transformative in order to become an employer of choice. In September of 2022, the city engaged Emerge to provide a roadmap to help the city become this employer of choice. The roadmap was to be informed by a thorough assessment of the current work environment at the city. To complete the assessment, MRG engaged staff at all levels of the organization, as well as labor representatives to get their input and then research best practices. They also explored cutting edge ideas from other agencies to craft this roadmap for our city. The roadmap has been designed specifically to address our most pressing of issues and set the stage for very long-term improvement and excellence. In the report, you will find six areas that MRG identified as those that the city needs to focus on to reach our goal, along with recommended actions under each to just further define the needed actions and success for us as an agency. After we hear from MRG this evening, I will present the 90-day implementation plan. And then finally, before we dive in, I'd like to take a moment to just truly recognize and thank our Deputy City Manager, Latanya Bello. Her leadership and vision has been instrumental in initiating this effort, and I truly, truly value her as an asset to this organization. Next slide, please. So what does success really look like? Let's take a moment to define exactly what we think success can look like. I believe success Success is truly achieved when we can demonstrate effectiveness in recruiting and attracting high-quality employees. They demonstrate a commitment to the health and long-term success of the city as an organization. Also, a solid organizational culture will exist, and we can see increases in job satisfaction, making Berkeley an attractive and exciting and supportive place to work and to thrive. All of this translates to sustainable quality services to our community, including timely and effective implementation of our council initiatives and priorities. Next slide. So this evening, they represent full service professional management consulting firm with over 60 affiliated consultants offices in Sacramento and Southern California, and they have a deep HR and organizational development expertise. They deliver transformational solutions to governance, human resource, financial management, and other complex organizational challenges. They help cities like a thing. They rethink historic practices and they review what is possible within any agency, specific rules and our standards. 
With us tonight, we have the MRT comprised of seasoned local government experts to present the employer of choice roadmap. I am very grateful for their work and their services. I'd like to introduce Capriola Craig and Marcy Scott from MRG. I will now pass it over to Kathy. Kathy, next slide. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor, Council Members, uh, staff, and community. We're really pleased to be with you tonight to present the Employer of Choice Roadmap. And as a firm, we work with cities and counties across California. And as um, the city manager said, many agencies are struggling with retaining and attracting talent. Uh, however, this is the first full-scale employer of choice kind of project that we've seen done um, in California. And we appreciate the city manager's leadership of doing this assessment. So one thing we did is when we started this work, we purposely created a roadmap. We didn't want to create a report. We wanted this to be actionable action-oriented and strategic, and so that's what we're going to walk through with you tonight. I'm going to read this quote, and this is a quote we heard from your staff, and this is the why this work is so important. And the quote says, Berkeley is in a staffing emergency. All the great work that the council and community is used to seeing accomplished is being profoundly impacted. The level of work is not going to be as great, and the Berkeley performance will be reduced until we can stabilize and rebuild the organization. So that kind of from a voice of your staff is the why of what where we are today. This is the kind of the process that we use to do this work. Uh, Marcy, Craig and I reviewed materials and background information. We did in-depth interviews with your department head and kind of some of their management teams were also included. And then we did focus groups. We did focus groups with the different labor groups and we also did focus groups with different groups of employees. And those voices and what they provided to us was incredibly helpful. And their, their work and both concerns, ideas, and solutions are woven into the recommendations in front of you. So we took all that, we created themes, we looked for recommendations, and we put together analysis and recommendations, and that is what's in this employer choice book. So the question is kind of how did we, in the world of local government, and frankly, a lot of businesses get in this place? Um, so, as the city manager said, we are in the staffing process, and the great resignation is really a great reevaluation of the workforce and the workplace. Um, some within the report, there is uh, within the roadmap, and here in the slide, is some data from a company called NeoGov. They have um, they are premier HR and recruitment company. They have six thousand. Um, organizations they work with across the United States, and their focus is local government and educational institutions. So it's really a way just to look at what's happening in local government. So one of the things that's occurred is the number of applicants that are applying for jobs now is dramatically different than the past. So you can see in 2016, 2017, there were 55 people on average applying for every job that a local government put up. Today in 2022, there's less than 15 for every position that's open. So the number of candidates has gone down dramatically and the quality of the candidates has also gone down. So the other stat from the NeoGov report um, and it's called the quiet crisis in the public sector is that 79% of public agencies can't find qualified candidates. So when we think about like when you're going out and trying to find candidates and market, it's really important that you have good 
really good efforts in that direction. And they also want to be able to retain your current employees because every employee that leaves is another vacancy you have to fill. Patsy, so, can you yeah. adjust your microphone? It's a little, little wobbly. Okay. You're going in and out of. Okay, I'll try to make it a little louder. Sorry to interrupt you. No problem. Council members, are you hearing me too? I know folks yes, are at different locations. Okay. Um, so when we think about employee retention and really what our job is as employers, and this is, as a former city manager, this is what we all looked at. But when employees, what are employees seeking? They're seeking first purpose and meaning in their work. They want a sense of team and connection. They want flexibility even more so now post-pandemic or whatever the stage of the pandemic we're at, honestly. But they want that alternative work schedules on hybrid and people are seeking life balance much more than in the past. Um, it's also very important for employees to work for an organization that invests in their career growth, their training, their development. And, or, and employees will leave if they don't see that kind of investment, especially millennials. Employees are also looking for competitive compensation and benefits. They wanna be recognized and appreciated for their efforts. And they want a culture that delivers on what the mission and vision and what, they, what the organization says it's gonna do. Employees also want to have like a sense of ease with how they do the work. So they want tools and technology and systems that they can do the mundane work easily so they can go do the more impactful work. They also want supervisors and managers that are not only capable, but are caring. And they want work that's organized and prioritized so that they can do thorough and good analytical work. That is what, this is from, from work done by the Gallup poll and um, Harvard Business Review, a lot of different organizations. This is what employees are looking for. Similarly, candidates want higher pay, flexible work options, more meaningful work, and they will go to different places to find that. Candidates also want clear, concise recruitment process, and they want active communication. It can't take an agency six, seven months to fill a position. Employees will get snapped somewhere else and they'll go, and you will lose that talent. So these are some things to keep in mind when we're talking about attracting and retaining. Um, when we're talking about season, attracting and retaining employees. So the other piece then is to, I'm gonna now kind of dive in and tell you a little bit about the roadmap. And the roadmap itself has an introduction and overview and there's recommendations and there's two appendices. And I'll kind of walk you through those at a high level. So, the first thing is, as you're thinking about attracting and retaining employees, you really have to think through what are your strengths? How do you differentiate yourself? What do you really want to put out there and help communicate about why people should come work for you? So this is what we heard from your staff. First, that this Berkeley is a progressive city that values social services and really almost works as a mini county. It's a mission-driven organization and staff is committed to public service and impact. There is a deep caring for customers in the community and it has a reputation, as you well know, for being forward-thinking, creative, and entrepreneurial. There are work teams within your organization that care about each other and actively support colleagues, and that, like many sense of family, is really important to employees. And you also have strengths of having some very high-caliber experience and smart staff that they have high expectations for themselves and each other. 
The other strength, obviously, and you all know this, but it's something to really put out is there's this level of both uniqueness that Berkeley has because of the breadth and depth of the services. Because of that mini county piece, there it's a level of sophistication and complexity that will really be interesting to some candidates. So these are your strengths and they're important and you wanna celebrate them and you wanna market them. So the next slide really takes what our key findings are when we look at the organization. And these are areas for enhancement and focus moving forward. So the first was widespread stats staff vacancies. And as outlined in the city manager's December report she gave you the workforce analysis, vacancies are definitely impacting the organization's ability to deliver services from service services and hours in some locations being closed to turnaround times responsiveness is not as high as it used to be. And employees are working more overtime and they're taking on more assignments um, as well. So interestingly enough, when we talk to labor management employees, we asked what's the number one thing to fix, the first priority, and people talk about fill the vacancies. And so you'll see that in our report. The other piece, the other finding is HR is in a major rebuild stage. So over 90% of your HR positions, which are somewhere in the 22, 23 FTEs in that HR department, 90% of them turned over in the last two and a half years. And some of them turned over more than once. Now, the good news is, most of those positions are filled. You have a new HR team in place and it really is blossoming. There's some really good team talent there. And you also have new leadership. You have a relatively new employees, um, employee relations manager and you have a brand new HR director. So things are looking up, but it takes time for people to learn the systems, learn how you operate, build relationships, et cetera. There's also a thirst for training and development. So this is really important to staff at all levels we heard this. It didn't matter, management, line, field, people want training and development. And they want they want an organization that's gonna invest in them. And this is also very true for millennials. And understandably during the pandemic, training and um, development really kind of dried up and was back burnered. So it's time for a reinvestment. There's also a heavy and unprioritized workload. We've heard this from your employees. Um, and all staff talk about just the workload being unsustainable and vacancies are definitely, you know, attributing to that issue as well. Overall, the organization is in slow to advanced technology and software systems. So here, there has been some recent investment, but overall Berkeley is behind in the utilization and deployment of technology. And the problem is once you get behind, it's really hard to catch up and it takes a significant investment um, I've done this in another agency or two, and so it's it's hard, it's doable. But this, there are now, there's long delays to get new computers, um, and some of the computers that your staff is using are quite old. You have systems that aren't fully utilized or fully deployed, and you have a number of systems that are still paper-based or Excel-based. They're not connected to an enterprise system, and they're not using mobile devices. So there's places, other cities that are, you could really learn from, but this is a place for significant investment. The other area is kind of, there's been a limitation in communication and recognition. Again, this is something we're hearing from a lot of our agencies coming out of the COVID experience, but the, your employees want more communication from the city manager's office and from departments. And your departments want more agility to work directly with the website and social media so that they can communicate with the public um, 
in a faster, more agile base. Um, and then there's also the need to really to update your recognition programs and systems and bring back some, um, some traditions you used to have. We also heard from employees that there has really been an underinvestment in facilities and equipment. And employees express kind of frustration about the state of the facilities they're working in on a daily basis as their work sites. And I'm just going to describe a few things that we heard. So work, work sites were described as kind of tired, worn and torn carpet, poor cleanliness standards, old desks and furniture, poor functioning HVAC, the need for paint. And then there's a much longer list of deferred maintenance that was also described to us by management in different functions. So this investment is another, it's an area that takes a lot of capital and a lot of maintenance installers, but this is a place that we also heard from your employees. And the last was really looking at your internal administrative systems. So this is HR, uh, information technology, risk management, finance, payroll, those kind of, those internal systems that help the line departments go out and provide the services they want. And for those internal services, Employees describe those systems as cumbersome, frustrating, inefficient, and there's not enough training, there's not enough technology and software, and there's just a re-engineering of business systems. So these were the kind of the general findings that we heard from your staff, and this affects the working experience of your employees on a daily basis. And there are some areas, and so it affects your ability to attract and retain folks, and if fixing and some of these areas will definitely uh, not only improve employee performance, but improve community services. So we took all of this and we put it in the roadmap. And as the city manager said, we created six lanes. And I'm going to give you kind of a deeper, quick dive into each of these to show you some of the recommendations. But lane one is recruiting talent. Lane two is retaining your current employees. Lane three is culture, communication, employee engagement. Very important in today's world. Four, training professional development health, safety, and wellness, and then elevating those internal or administrative services. So I recognize this next slide is way too small to see, but it's kind of a dashboard and it shows you the six lanes and it shows you their subcategories and then recommendations. And so there's basically 48 recommendations and I'm gonna go through a few slides with you, give you a little more um, feeling of what's in the roadmap. So lane one is recruiting for talent. and the first piece here is on staffing and making sure you've got the horsepower to go out and do the recruitment you need. So that's about adding a couple of staff, adding some consultant assistance. It's also about really streamlining the recruitment process. And this we recommend a kind of a, a, a strike team with labor, employees and management focused with HR, but really looking at how the recruitment process and promotional opportunities can be streamlined and make still make fair, but make but move quicker in order to re attract and retain employees. And then really working with HR, working as a business partner directly with departments, because each of these little business units police markets differently than public works. And so you have to have that functional expertise when you do recruitments as well. The next group is all about marketing and branding. There needs to be a strategy, some graphic uh, design, branding and really uh, a much more thorough use of social media. And one recommendation also is creating some kind of a referral bonus program for your current employees. Your current employees could be your best recruiters. And so that is another recommendation that we have for you. 
the last group is really about HR system work. And the number one thing I want to call out here is making sure that when your employee comes that first day, they have everything they need to start. They have a clean desk. They've got some kind of a welcome kit. They've also got a computer that works and they can get in a directory and a key and they can actually start work. And that has not been the experience for some of your staff. There's a variety of reporting that also needs to be done, training, and then a number of your job descriptions also need updating. The next, the next um, lane is really about retaining your employees. And so here, there are a number of HR systems that um, need continued focus. One is um, an overall of your onboarding program. This is where someone comes on, you teach them about the organization, they start to feel welcomed. And there's a variety of things, as the city manager is saying, about culture that can be done here. Onboarding needs a massive overhaul. The eligibility list process for promotional opportunities also needs work, and there's a lot of there was a lot of agreement on that across the board. The, the new HR director has already improved dramatically the Berkeley Matters, which is an internal HR newsletter, so kudos there. And there's work on performance evaluation and feedback, and really using exit interviews well to really understand why people are leaving and gather better data. There's also the need when you're going to retain employees is recognition and appreciation is important. And here we recommend some kind of an interdepartmental team to really create a comprehensive renewed city recognition program. In addition to restarting like your service award program and some of your tra traditions and staff really values. And lastly, on organization and priority setting, employees also voice concerns about the number of initiatives and the referrals that are actually coming from the city council and the lack of priority setting. And this was something we heard from a number of departments and all different levels. And we understand that you do have an agenda rules policy committee that's beginning a discussion about enhancements to that city legislative process and including referrals. And we would really support that review and looking for an integrated way where you can still be agile as a council, but really making sure that you're able to, that your staff has the ability to, to get accomplished the pieces of the department. Happy, we're still experiencing some in and out um, with your microphone. Just want to let you know. Okay. Apologize for that. And number three is, I'm going to pull this a little closer to my mouth and see if that, does that better? Okay, I will do that. Um, culture, communication, employee engagement. So here, this is about fostering internal communication. So, as I mentioned, the organization wants to see more communication coming from the manager's office and from departments. And employees want an opportunity to give their voice and know what's going on, key priorities. There's also a desire for more cross-department collaboration. And the number 3.3 is about really opening up that website and social media use to departments. And in this situation, um, the PIO program has been fairly centralized, and departments need an ability to be able to tell their story more accurately, and yet still maintaining some systems and protocols. Under team building, you know, we have to bring some fun back in the workplace. It's important in relationship building as we've come out of COVID, and so there's a variety of recommendations there. And you also have um, an effort moving forward to hire a DEI coordinator. And this can be important that the DEI program 
be woven throughout this, but especially with team building and culture and really making sure that they're we're building learning connections and culture inclusive activities. Plan four is about training and professional development. And so here there needs to be an overall strategy. And we heard a lot of interest from employees about learning academies, specialized training, investing in coaching and technology training. But also we have to learn, our managers, employees have to learn to manage and communicate in a different way in hybrid. And so there's there are some new practices coming out that can be helpful there. And then the other piece is also a sort of learning management system where you can track and document the investments that you are making employees. And that's really helpful as they move through their career through the city. Under systems and financial support, this is one area where Berkeley doesn't use credit cards as much as other cities use credit cards. And if you if you're if you have an employee who sees some type of a training event they want to go to, but it's six weeks away, they have to re they have to request a check. And that is unlikely to be back in time that they can do the training. So really looking at what are ways to have credit cards to make it easier to get to training. And then really also employees want to see more um, investment by the city in tuition reimbursement, conferences, training, et cetera, by departments. The next lane is lane five, which is health, safety, and wellness. And here under employee health, with the kind of constantly changing COVID terrain we had, um, employees are definitely looking for regular and clear communication about the city's practices and protocols. And there's also, there was a lot of talk about an investment in more mental and physical health services for employees. In terms of employee safety, um, an idea that was talked about was really creating some kind of an interdepartmental team that could be to do two things. One, when there are some kind of accident or such situations occurred, it can be looked at with a variety of different lenses from your employees, but also that same team could go look at work sites and what could be done to make those work sites safer, not only for employees, but your residents and visitors that may be using those facilities. A number of employees also ask for some kind of de-escalation or high conflict training. Um, sadly, as we know, it's just gotten tougher out there to be a public employee and people want tools. They wanna to know how they can, frankly, communicate and work well with the public. But when someone is highly agitated, what are ways they can help de-escalate and make everyone feel safer. In terms of work schedules and flexibility, really expanding alternative work schedules is another idea here. You may have some employees that have to be in the office because of their job, but there are other cities use other work schedules other than five days a week, eight hours a day. So like what's called a 980, where you have every other Friday or every other Monday off, but you work nine hours a day. That's a way for someone who actually has to still be in the office and can't work remote or hybrid, still to have an alternative work schedule and have some of that life balance that people are seeking. There's also a need to kind of formalize that hybrid work program and that's work that's underway. And I, I described some of the facilities equipment, but again, really looking at adequately funding, capital improvements and priority, prioritizing investments in building vehicles and equipment. And the last section here is on really elevate, um, elevate internal, your internal, your administrative processes. And our first recommendation here is on structure and program. And so our recommendation is to take 
a number of these functions like HR, IT, finance contracts and move them under one deputy city manager so that those projects, those functions can be aligned and decisions can be made across. There's also, we also recommend basically having some um, cust internal customer teams that are providing feedback more regularly to the internal services. And a number of cities have created like innovation programs or innovation labs where there's kind of where new ideas that employees may have or even members of the public can be brought forward and they can be um, implemented and reviewed. And then the last section is about business and process. And this is really about empowering some of these strike teams who are gonna come in and do some quick work on a process improvement or longer term business improvement teams that are gonna have to really do a much digger deep into the, sorry, a much digger review uh, of some of your processes. Your staff also needs training on some technology and administrative processes and, and also how to really maximize some of the current technology you have with Microsoft Teams and SharePoint. The other, um, within the roadmap, there is what's well, in Appendix A, there is a compensation and benefits. And without a doubt, compensation and benefits are a really important part of both attracting talent and retaining talent. Now, because comp and benefits are a part of negotiations, we did not put formal recommendations into the report. We didn't feel that was appropriate, but we did want to capture the feedback we got and so that that information was available for potential use in negotiations or to be reviewed. So when you think about compensation benefits, there's direct salary, there's retirement like PERS, there's benefits, there's health, there's leave. And employees talked quite a bit about the commuter subsidy and employee parking benefits as an area to look at. So that information is there and that feedback you can utilize as you go through another process. So I'm now gonna shift to kind of implementation and next steps. So your leadership as the city council is really a key ingredient for the success of this employer choice roadmap. And initially we see kind of three important roles for you in this effort. The first one is always you decide where resources go. So looking at financial support and budget and making those decisions is one of the key roles of the city council. The second, obviously, is you also direct staff and you determine your labor negotiations, direction, strategy. And so when you're looking at compensation benefits, that's another place that you are going to have a very key role. And the last is really determining the priority setting and new initiatives. Your staff clearly understands the special place that Berkeley is and that the city council and community have high expectations and many entrepreneurial ideas. They get that. And yet they also really are asking for greater prioritization to enhance outcomes and support the retention and recruitment of talent. So these are the roles that we see for the council in this, in this, in this roadmap. So stepping back from the detail again, not a surprise, these are our highest priorities. First, we say, go invest in HR, fill the vacancies. Second, really start to improve communication because it's so important part of culture, both internally and letting your departments be able to communicate more effectively with the public. And then really start to elevate and update those internal systems. And lastly, if you're gonna, you know, we do this report and we all wanna see it implemented. And so some of the key things that make implementation successful is you have to have executive leadership 
You have to have a season project manager. You need department commit commitment and the commitment of the senior executive team. You need money. You need one-time and ongoing financial dollars. This, this, this effort is big enough that there's some immediate things, but it's probably a multi-year project. And so it starts to become so big, it's hard to take a bite of. So we're recommending like some rolling 90-day action plans. And then we think it's really important because credibility is important and commitment is important that there be some transparency and regularly reporting back out to the to the organization and council. And sometimes you're telling them we're doing great, this is making progress, and sometimes you're saying this is stalled and we're having troubles here. And that's okay. That's important. That's part of that transparency. It's also important that these strike teams and these business process teams have to be empowered to make change. If they're not empowered, they're going to get frustrated and things are going to a clog up and change management's not easy, but that is important. And then this entire roadmap, you're going to need to put together some prioritize and put, a, put together a strategy. So this, there's very important work to do here. Some of it won't be easy, but some of it could be fun too. And it's also really important. And we believe by making investments in this roadmap, it will improve your improve the city's ability to attract and retain the folks. And the good news is that your organization has the talent and it has, and I think it has the interest as well. So we really want to thank the employees and the labor groups that met with us. And, and they really gave us great feedback, information, trust in their time. So we're thankful for that because we couldn't have put this together without them. And we also appreciate the support and coordination of the manager's office, in particular, city manager, Adee Williams Ridley, the deputy city manager, Tanya Bello, and the assistant to the city manager, Tasha Terbalon. So, on behalf of MRG and my colleagues, Marcy Scott and Craig Winham, thank you for the opportunity to do this good work on your behalf, and I'll turn it back to the city manager. Thank you so much, um, Kathy, and thank you to the entire team at MRG. Um, your commitment and hard work um, to get us here has been really, really, um, really, really supported. And we we thank you for for, your, for all of your work. We'd also like to thank the staff who worked on, on those focus groups, those that wanted to be a part of those groups, my executive team, and of course, labor for engaging in this process. I think we had representation from all of our labor groups across the city. Um, what I want to say here is that the road ahead is really hard, but now we have a clear plan forward. We understand where our efficiencies are and where change is needed. This truly is just the beginning for us. And I wanna be really clear here, as we go down this path of implementing all of these actions, we'll need to implement standard tracking processes. We've gotta continuously look at quality improvement and we need to plan how we, how we evaluate our progress to make sure that we are accountable. We also have to just remain nimble and ready to be innovative and be creative when the plan isn't working and be able to pivot really quickly when it's needed. This is something I believe our organization has shown time and time again that we are experts at, and I am hopeful and I'm really excited for what's to come. Next slide, Kathy, please. Mm -hmm. We have what we've learned so far from MRG's assessments that we have three high priority areas. Invest in HR, which includes filling vacant positions and improving our city's branding and recruitment and outreach. The immediate next steps for HR is to include adding two associate HR analysts and one assistant HR analyst, as well as initiating a contract for a branding and marketing firm 
in an amount not to exceed $250,000. This will be to assist us in attracting and recruiting talent for our city. We also need to enhance communication internally and externally, but with employees and for our community. This includes providing greater departmental access to social media, creating uh, and the creation of uh, website content. Um, the immediate action for communications is um, to enhance our social media content, our planning of it, setting up strategy, including support for department communications. Um, this would be an amount not to exceed $200,000 for firm, consulting firm services. And then lastly, to improve our internal and administrative business processes and practices so that we can be better, approve our efficiencies, um, approve our effectiveness um, and our overall customer service to residents and to the businesses that we serve here in Berkeley. We will be leveraging the newly created special projects division that council supported us with through our last budget process to help in leading this work. Next slide, please. So this plan, this slide lays out the three focus areas and the work to be completed beginning May through June. This scope was defined by the input we received thus far. I'm not gonna go into the details of each of these squares, um, but we would like to acknowledge that we recognize this is an aggressive 90-day plan. We're committed to implementing this plan and reporting out in July on our first 90-day successes. We will continue to engage our staff across the organization um, in fact, this coming Friday, March 3rd, we will be meeting with division managers across the city in a half-day session. We're also planning an all-staff meeting, which will be the first that we've had in over four years, to gather input and feedback and inform the next round of our priorities so that we can achieve, um, to help us inform on our next priorities um, as we look to achieve um, work over the upcoming year. Next slide, please. So in closing, I'd like to reiterate our city's truly struggling when it comes to filling key vacancies across the organization and to retain talent, which directly impacts the organization's ability to effectively provide services. We've got to work hard at this. This is our moment. And I believe that we have to take immediate action to attract talent to this organization, enhance internal and external communications, and improve our internal business processes. As we noted earlier, investment in this work will support a sustainable, equitable service level of delivery for our community, including accomplishing all of your priorities as well, and initiatives that I'm bringing forward as a city manager. We do need to be intentional about building a firm, firm foundation. This has to be one that supports a thriving, healthy organization, um, demonstrating true leadership, true transformational leadership, um, and improvements to the culture of the city. I want to again thank the staff, our labor groups, department heads, our MRG consulting team, and this council for sitting through this long presentation, and of course our community. So thank you so much for this opportunity. This concludes our presentation. MRG consultants and I are available for questions. Thank you. Okay, thank you so very much. Um, I really want to thank the city manager for initiating this initiative. Um, it is really critical to address what I think is one of the most um, significant challenges facing our city organization right now, which is the, the number of vacancies and looking at how we can only fill those vacancies more quickly, but also 
really be um, a model employer that can really attract uh, really the excellent workforce that we, we have and that we want to grow here in the city of Berkeley to serve the really incredible community that we have. So I want to thank the city manager for having the vision initiative for launching this um, and MRG for the really exceptional work um, really going through and, you know, listening to our employees, listening to our labor groups and um, coming up with some very thoughtful recommendations. And then obviously working with the city manager, come up with an actual action plan for how we can op- how we can implement these particular recommendations in the near term because we 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 it is it is certainly important that we do so. So, um for purposes of discussion, um I'd like to make a motion that we adopt the resolution to support and endorse the city manager's work plan, implement the employer of choice initiative, um and Second. and also the authorization to hire two associate HR analysts and one assistant HR analyst contract with a Branding and marketing agency, the amount not to exceed $250,000, and enhanced communications and social media content, uh, planning and strategy, including support for uh, communications and a combined amount not to exceed $200,000. Okay, thank you. Second Uh, again. Sorry, I thought you were done. (laughs) And I'm done. Councilor Han. Yeah, excuse me. So I have to say that my first two reactions to this are hallelujah and oh my God. <laughs> um, I think there's just, there's too much here for me to, to comment on tonight. I have only one small question. Um, I just want to join the mayor in thanking you and thanking the consulting team um, and all the staff who participated in this, whether it was to just answer questions or if they were actually involved in um, moving this study forward and developing the recommendations. Um, It's incredibly refreshing. Uh, All of it sounds right on to me. Um, The the report was very interesting and detailed. It's just a lot to take in. And given given the hour, um, I'm almost feeling like maybe we ought to have another day to talk about this, or maybe we'll talk about it in our meetings with the city manager. But um, I'm really, really excited for the city. I think this is overdue. I think some of the challenges preexisted the pandemic, but obviously the conditions during the pandemic really accelerated things and have made this critically important and and extremely timely and perhaps even a little overdue, uh, but that is not exclusive to the city of Berkeley. Uh, and But it's very exciting because I think that we can build a really exciting, uh, even more exciting organization and even better workplace, um, increased satisfaction, really uh, continue to attract amazing quality people, which we already do, but give them more reasons to stay, make their jobs easier, let them be more effective. Um, there's just so many benefits to this that it, I, you know, it would take a long time. I, my only little question is whether uh, library employees were included in all the surveys and everything. I think I saw Kathy nod yes. So we we um, I interviewed the library director, and I believe they were included also in the employee 
panels. Not everyone chose. It was uh, people that were interested chose to come into the focus groups. So I can't remember, but I believe and um, the assistant to the city manager helped orchestrate that. But we purposely made a decision to have libraries be included, and I believe they were included in all. Fantastic. Thank you. I also sit on that board as the council's representative to the Board of Library Trustees, and so much of this feels you know, very relevant um, uh, to that body as well, but it's, it's slightly different from, it's, it's an unusual department, so to speak. Yeah, so I just wanted to make sure, well, that's fantastic, and I look forward to hearing what my colleagues have to say, but for now, I'm just gonna let it all sink in, congratulate, and thank you. And I'm very excited to support this initiative and look forward to moving it forward. Thank you. Okay, thank you. We'll go next to Council Member Robinson. Good evening. Hi. Uh, similarly, I think I'll try to restrain myself because I think the best I could do for you this evening is just to ramble through a very long list of things that I'm excited about and thrilled mm -hmm. by, and that would just not be super constructive to you. But at a high level, Obviously, nothing is more important to the basic functioning of the city than our staffing levels, you know, challenges with hiring and in HR uh, ripple out to the entire organization, to all of our departments, and therefore to our residents. And these recommendations are both sweeping and precise, and I am frankly so excited and thrilled that they came together so quickly. At least it feels quickly to me. I know it's been a very busy couple months for your team and the consultancy. Uh, there's so much here, and I know it's so much more complicated than this, but I feel like in my own noggin, I'm organizing it into like two axes, a, uh, a modernization bucket and a quality of life bucket, and then on another axis, recruitment and retention. And there's so much good work in all four of those quadrants. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a long way to go. You know, we were just talking a little bit about hiring and uh, modernization of our online presence. I, I noticed very recently on, uh, on LinkedIn, uh, the last time that I had checked, I think the city only had five posts listed on LinkedIn, uh, four of them, I think, in planning, I think, Steve Buckley, I'll put those up himself if he's listening, uh, and I think one in Parks. And I know there's so many other hiring platforms specifically for government people and for public sector employees, but that on the biggest hiring and professional social media platform out there full of recent graduates stumbling into the first steps of their careers uh, after their lives and their education were upended by the pandemic, you know, we don't have a presence there. Anyway, I'm very excited for for that and so many other good things to change. Uh, again, I could list them, formalizing a hybrid work program, using credit cards to ease training procurement, resources and tools ready on day one, but I'm going to try not to do that and just express my gratitude to you, City Manager Williams-Ridley, for the urgency with which you've approached this work uh, and to the MRG team. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, supportive of the recommendations today. Let's endorse the work plan. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's go next to Council Member Harrison. Um, thank you, Madam City Manager, and thank you to the MRG team. Thank you, uh, Deputy City Manager Latanya Bello as well. Um, you know, once the culture gets sort of broken, it's hard to put back. And I feel this is a lot of this is due to COVID and our separation from each other. Um, we've really suffered in the last 
three years. And I know that this is, we have to put this effort in right now to kind of turn this around at this exact moment when we're crawling out of COVID. It has to happen at this point. Having said that, I did have a question specifically about the comments from employees about wanting work flexibility. And I have to say, especially in the Bay Area where housing is so expensive in the inner Bay Area, did you hear a lot of comments from people wanting to work from home? I know that this is besetting like San Francisco. They just cannot keep their employees at all. They're all like, either you let me work at home or I'm going to go work for somebody else where it's cheaper. So I don't know what your um, uh, feeling is about that and how that fits into this. You know, how do we create a team, but also allow flexibility for people? Because that's just a demand now from employees. They're not, they're not going to come to work five days a week. So yeah, we anyone wants to comment. Sorry. I'm going to take a minute and I'm going to hand it off to Kathy. No, thank you, Kathy. I, I do want to start out by saying, yes, we, we do hear from our employees about um, having flexible work schedules. And we heard a lot during this, during this assessment. Um, I think what they are more concerned about is, are they providing good service to this community? I hear that as well. And it goes a little bit hand in hand. So it kind of either competes or it supports, right? So um, what we're seeing is that people do like working from home. They are productive in working from home, but we are seeing complaints now starting to emerge around services to the community. So mm -hmm. we've got to step back to determine how do we offer both work from home and flexible work environment, but also meet those needs head on for our community. Now, the service to the community for me is critical and important. And I think our department heads and our staff have done a great job trying to maintain, but I think now we've got to just come a little closer to what our community needs are um, and still try and make sure our employees' flexible work environments are somewhere intact for them as well. Kathy, um, you were first, you were at the first front lines with folks. So is there anything more you'd like to add as well? Yeah, I would just, just add briefly, employees definitely are interested in working from home. And I think, I do think the alternative work schedule is a way to create some fairness with folks that can't work at home versus people that have jobs that can be more remote. So I think that's an interesting thing that the city could explore. But yeah, and being able to reduce your costs, not have to commute and have that time and some of that life balance. Um, and for a lot of places, it is more, people can be very efficient from home. So we definitely heard, we're not putting that genie back in the bottle. We definitely people want to be able to continue to work from home. But it's more maybe about the flexibility than actually being at home per se every day. They want, okay, that, that's very helpful. There, there's, um, there's, there's a range, I would say, Councilman Harrison. Some folks would love to be all the time. Some folks want that connection of being back in the office too. Great. Um, also, I was really interested in this idea of the Office of Innovation. I think this is something we talked about some years ago. Los Angeles has this. Orange County has this. Um, and um, I think it's operated out of their auditor's office in those cases. But um, one thing that their Office of Innovation did in Los Angeles is work on retention and recruitment strategies. That was one of their primary jobs. And in the police environment, this is really important to figure out how to advertise. And I know you've done a lot of work already on this, Madam City Manager. So this may be somewhat separate from this discussion. But um, I, I find that there's this sort of more innovative way of attracting people, which goes back to your branding. You know, I think really what we need is to say who we are as a city. People want to have meaning in life. People are not just looking for a paycheck. So 
you know, that's, we got to somehow get back to that. And I'm, I'm not, I have no advice, <laughs> but I really appreciate that. And I think part of that brand is innovation and re-engineering. I think that's partly who we are. And so we need to emphasize that really strongly, I think. Um, I wanted to ask about the authorization tonight to hire these um, three positions. I appreciate you're, you're making like a 50% increase in the number of people you have for 100% increase, I think, for recruitment, right? You have one person right now. Um, are these positions already budgeted? Do we have to make a financial allocation or you're just looking to go ahead and fill positions that you have? Um, these positions are not already budgeted. You'll have to give us the authorization to add the actual um, FTEs, but we do have the funding for the FTEs this fiscal year. We already okay. have the, so we don't need a funding allocation. We need the FTE allocation the FTE authorization to add. Okay, great. And we also have a retention audit, I think, going on through the auditor's office. Do you know what the timing is on that and how it might fit in with your plans? Well, we, we certainly hope that it will um, help complement what the work that we're doing here. But um, I can't speak to that. I know the auditor, I, I did see her on as a participant, maybe as a panelist as well. So she may be able to speak to that specifically. Okay. And then my last comment is, I, I, I hear that you uh, spoke with employees and union leadership, but I've heard from two of the unions that their leadership is not involved in any kind of like one-on-one -on -one discussion with you. And they would really look forward to that rather than being just involved in focus groups with groups of employees. Um, you know, they have a and lot to say and a lot of insight. So the groups are those so we can make sure we reach out to them. That'd be great. Thank you very much. And again, I'm really, I'm really excited by this. And I'm glad you're going to be able to hit the ground running. And thank you, Dee, for always trying to figure out how do we get out of this box that we're in, which is not uniquely our box. It's happening across the entire country, but is worse in the Bay Area. So thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Vice Mayor Bartlett, followed by Council Member Humbert. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. And um, thank you, Madam City Manager. Uh, you know, for those who don't know, the city manager has a background in HR, so it's <laughs> I can see it uh, being deployed here. Uh, an excellent report by the consultants. Uh, we've talked about this in the past, how um, sort of the 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 bargain that that American workers uh, made uh, with the 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 employing the employment world at large um, over these last few decades was kind of called into question during the pandemic when people could stay home and kind of reconsider what they're doing um as 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 their wages were stagnant and and debt exploded and all the costs of living exploded uh they, they began to wonder why they're doing what they're doing and so you know it's good that you you attack this head on and begin to to re-articulate this uh, relationship uh and because it is in flux and and now in the in the middle of this and, and it's no coincidence we now have uh, commercial artificial intelligence uh, being widely adopted as we speak, um, with 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 <laughs> with likely uh, strong strong um, tectonic repercussions for everything we're discussing here tonight. Um, so it's 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 good that we're having this conversation, and uh, I do believe the conversation will continue to evolve um, until both sides are happy. But I thank you for this roadmap. It's a great start. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, we'll go next to Council Member Humbert. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. And um, I want to thank um, Madam City Manager 
and the consulting team. This looks like a wonderful product. And for sake of um, and, and program, and for sake of brevity, I simply want to um, um, echo uh, Council Member Hahn's comments. Um, uh, hallelujah and oh my gosh. And this is a great program and I support it. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, um, we'll go next to Council Member Wingraff. Uh, thank you, and thank you to our city manager and to Latanya Bello, and uh, to the consultant team. Um, I I have a prejudice against PowerPoint presentations. Um, <laughs> having been on this council for a very long time, you can imagine how many bad ones I've seen. <laughs> the, this this one was really really excellent, extraordinarily well done. Um, so. Uh, I appreciate it. It, it. it is a lot to take in, and, and I want to go back and study it. Um, this is, I believe, the first step in a long road to recovery. And I'm, I'm very happy that, um, you know, that we'll be approving this tonight and moving forward. Um, that said, I want to focus on what council's role is in all of this. Um, I sort of feel like we're the board of directors of this organization, and we have a role in making sure that um, that we recover and that we restore our city to its excellence and to its, you know, and that we achieve our best potential. So I think you have a slide in your presentation that addresses the council's responsibility in all of this. And I wonder if you could go back to that. Sure. Because that to me is one of the most important um, things for us to, to soak in. Sorry, I don't wanna make you dizzy here. There it is. I don't I don't mean to take time. Um, is, is it that slide or was it slide number 12 where you had our two findings? Yeah, I think it was about the findings. Um, yeah. I think I think it used the word resources. Um, oh. In any case, I, we don't have to bother going back. What, what I really want to what I really want to share with my colleagues is that um, we need to support this effort in every way possible. And I'm, I'm pleading with my colleagues to keep this in mind as we move forward. And um, so that this can be a successful under, undertaking. I don't think it'll be successful if we don't support it at every turn. So thank you. And thank you again for a great presentation. Thank you. Councilmember Kitsawani. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Uh, thank you, Madam City Manager, for your initiative in taking this on. Did I hear correctly? This is the first city that has undertaken something like this. Was that what you had said, Kathy? We've seen this. Um, I've seen a report out in Colorado. I have not, we have not seen one in California. You see pieces of it, but packaged in this way, we have not seen yet. Okay, well, I think that that really speaks to 
the city manager's leadership in recognizing this as a challenge and taking it on. And so I really want to credit her and thank the team that has given us this presentation and has done the research and talk to our labor groups and talk to employees to really hear from them directly about the challenges they are facing. And I just want to uh, reiterate one thing, heavy, unprioritized workload due, mm. I think in large part to council referrals. When I think about my role as a leader, I think about what I can control and we're the council. So that is in our purview to control. So I will say it again, heavy unprioritized workload. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, on that note, um, we are having discussions at the agenda committee about looking at our legislative process and thinking about how to sort of make it more rational to align with the budget process. And I, I just following up on what Councillor Kesawani said, I think all of us need to look at that through that lens um, in terms of what's really pressing. Um, and um, I know that we are, when we do the priority setting, we're going to, the RRV, we're going to get a list um, of outstanding referrals and look at sort of whether we need to reprioritize things and what the status of that is. But um, I, I guess I, I call on you, Councillor Kisserwani, and all the council members to to commit to that. Um, you know, if we, to make sure that we have the capacity to be able to, to implement this. Um, but we do need to be mindful of, of the staff resources and they need to focus on what are the most critical things. But that that work that we're engaged in right now at the agenda committee and that we're going to have a discussion at council, I think is going to be key to kind of address that one recommendation around, you know, prioritization and really and improving the process so that uh, we provide clear direction and um, and that we we're setting up our staff to be able to to implement successfully the work that our community has asked us to advance because, you know, I'll just want to note that we come to, you know, these, these are ideas that we hear from our constituents. These are demands that we hear from our constituents. We, you know, we represent the people of Berkeley. And so um, I think we need to, um, while city manager is working, is going to work earnestly to implement all the other recommendations. I think that we need to commit to working on uh, uh, sort of our responsibility addressing that one recommendation as well. Um, Guess what I will um, just say is um, I think this is really exciting. I know there are many um, public agencies and cities that are grappling with this issue, and I think this is really a model. Um, and I hope our city manager is going to go on speaking speaking circuit to present this um, because I think it's really um, it's really exceptional, um, and it's great to have an actual understanding of what the what the challenges are and to have a clear roadmap. Um, and and, and short-term and long-term plans. Um, and I hope that, you know, this is something that other cities can look to as a, as a way to address something, which I think is probably the most critical challenges that public agencies are facing now, which is just the, the great resignation, the, the work, workforce changes due to COVID, and also the, um, uh, the need to fill these vacancies, because it has a direct material impact on our ability to deliver services to our constituents. So I really appreciate the vision and initiative that you brought forward. And um, I agree with Councilor Warnigoff, we all need to be supportive of all this work because it's going to take a whole 
I think team effort on the part of the elected leadership, the executive leadership, the staff to really make this happen. Thank you so much. Okay, so seeing no other counselors that wish to speak, let's um, proceed to public comment now on item 16, the City of Berkeley Employer of Choice Initiative. And um, if you would like to speak on this, please raise your hand. I see our city auditor has um, requested to speak. I'm going to, if you don't mind, move over to panelist um, and uh, go to her first. Hi, good evening. Thank you so much, Mayor. Um, and good evening to City Council and the Berkeley community. I'm glad to see um, this issue uh, being discussed. Uh, it's a very important issue. Um, and as Council Member Harrison noted, we do have a separate but related effort from our office. Uh, since March of 2022, we've been working on an audit of workforce retention, um, which we've had on our audit plan since uh, 2020. The purpose of our audit is to address the challenges of staff shortages and retention of Berkeley employees. Uh, the, the report before you tonight is the result of a separate endeavor initiated by the city manager. Our audit will be completed in the coming months. Um, audits, uh, just to remind folks, are deep dives into an issue aimed at improving city services and operations. And as part of that effort, we did survey all Berkeley employees regarding job satisfaction, and retention challenges, conducted interviews with department directors, um, including the city manager. Thank you for your input. Um, we interviewed labor groups and surveyed staff who departed the city of Berkeley over the last five years. So I look forward to sharing these results with you in the coming months when we complete our audit. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, um, let's now go to the um, other attendees that would like to speak on this item. Uh, Cordell Hindler, you have two minutes. Please unmute yourself. Yes, can you hear my voice? Yes, we can. So good evening, uh, Mayor Aragain, uh, council members. Um, thank you, uh, City Manager Ridley and MRG for this presentation. I have two words, hallelujah and thank goodness, because this this has been a long time coming because I feel that the city of Berkeley needs to bring in some talent. And so this is by far this this presentation. Uh, after listening to the presentation, I was like, wow, this is extraordinary work. So I'm hoping that the council will approve the the recommendations that is before you. And because we we they we the city needs some employees. I'm, I'm like, because because it's been a concern uh, to not only the city of Berkeley, but to me, because I feel that um, that people just like, they just feel like there's not enough, you know, not enough positions, you know, to be filled. So hopefully they can get updated at um at a soon at a reasonable time. So I want to thank city manager Ridley and municipal resource group for this presentation. I'm just thrilled that this is a long time coming. So Hopefully the council will approve it and and be done with it. So with that I'll give my time to the next person. Okay, um, our next speaker is Kelly Hammergren, followed by Bob Dixon. 
Um, thank you. It's disappointing that this was put on an evening agenda and not as a separate work session um, for an hour and five minutes so far, I'm counting. And I, I feel like there's a missing part to uh, the presentation to this evening, and that is hearing from uh, the directors of departments and what the challenges are for the different departments of Berkeley. I think that would add a lot to what we're hearing. And so it's disappointing that's not part of it. And I'll stop there. I don't need to speak anymore. Thank you. Our next uh, speaker is Bob Dixon, and then we'll go to any speakers in the boardroom. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, I am Council Member Wengreff's appointee to the Personnel Board, and I am the chair of the Personnel Board. Um, so I want to encourage, though, listening to how you've been speaking, uh, the adoption of the city manager's recommendation. I also thank her and Latanya Bello for putting this together, as well as the consultants. I'm a bit uh, concerned in some ways that some of these things were brought up at the time we studied the Mason-Tillman Associates report. But I think what's in front of you is a challenge for the council. The personnel board is looking at many of these items. We'll be looking at more. We will take upon ourselves to report to you if we, as we see things go. Uh, we have we will formally take this up next week, but uh, we do have spoken among ourselves without violating the Brown Act, and I think we're our initial goal is to get more people to stay than leave, and that's our short-term goal. And we wish you well with implementing the other parts. We'll do our best for you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go to Money Law, followed by Julia Cato. This is once again public comment on item 16, the City of Berkeley Employer Choice Initiative. And, okay, Ms. Slaw, okay. I unmuted it twice. Am I unmuted? Yes. Okay, great. Uh, thank you very much uh, to the city manager and to Ms. Bello and to council for reviewing this issue. It's super critical and important. I'm aging out as a 63-year-old and 12 years in the city service, but I am concerned about incoming uh, staff and a couple of questions with regard to the consultant, whether they have a diverse um, a group of employees. I didn't see any reference to diversity, inclusion, and belonging in the slides. I do believe a lot of people don't feel included in the city as far as their voice. And so I think inclusion is important. Also to feel valued, one question a lot of people have, and I've asked police officers who are down the street from where I live um, about openings in my apartment complex. And they said they cost too much, everything's expensive. So housing is a cost that is a deterrent to hiring good employees. Um, also as the consultant would hopefully have an inclusion of um, BIPOC people with respect to their input but also their inclusion as staff and promotion opportunities. Exit interviews are really important as the auditor referenced. And I don't see that those happen in all cases and it should. So we see why people are leaving and so we can change that. And finally, oh, I really hope, I really hope that we have a leadership academy where all opportunities are given to all employees so that they can promote up within the city. And when you see there's some space to move forward and upward, 
you are more likely to stay. And the PEPRA step down and some other issues that happened, there are some younger employees who are um, dismayed and may look elsewhere. Um, also inclusion is important with respect to the remote option to work, hybrid or at home, and people are very productive and we have online and Zoom calls that people can be counseled and they don't like to park downtown. So they actually prefer, and we do make accommodations for people with disabilities that need to be in person. So we can all work it out and have a better workplace and keep people employed. Thank you so much. And I love working for the city of Berkeley and the people that I work for. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll go to Julia Cato and ask are there any other speakers on Zoom who would like to speak on item 16, the City of Berkeley Employer Choice Employer of Choice Initiative. If so, please raise your hand. Julia Cato. Okay. Can I start? Yes. Okay. Uh, thanks for all the information that you have provided today, but most I'm most especially interested in the fact that our city auditor at no additional expense has been performing uh, essentially the same job as the paid experts. And I am really grateful that she is doing this. And I would like you to wait till she finishes her task and listen to her results before you make any decisions. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, um, I'd like to ask the city clerk, are there any members of the public in the boardroom at 1231 Addison that would like to speak on item 16? No, no speakers in the boardroom. Okay, so I'll bring, now bring it back to the city council for any further discussion. Uh, Councilmember Harrison, before we proceed to a vote. Yeah, um, I didn't want to imply that there should be any waiting for the audit being done by the city auditor, because I think hiring these recruitment uh, employees and people that are looking at culture change needs to happen no matter what <clears throat> else you might find. Um, so I just don't want to leave the impression that I think this should be you know, held off in any kind of way. The things that you have before us tonight, Madam City Manager, I think need to go ahead right away. Thank you very much. Yeah, I agree. We can't wait. <laughs> this is an urgent issue, and I appreciate the urgency in which this is brought forward. Um, are there any additional comments from the City Council on the side? If not, I'd like to ask the City Clerk to call the roll. Councilmember Kesterwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. On? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. And Mayor Aragine? Yes. Motion carries. Okay, the motion carries. Thank you. Thank you once again to our city manager, deputy city manager, the, the consulting team, and we look forward to supporting this important work. Okay, um, I want to check in with the council on the, the remainder of the action calendar. So, you know, there have been questions as to why item 19 is the last action item. Well, it's because um, both item 16 and 17 are time sensitive. Um, and I frankly don't think item 19 is. Um, that's why the agenda and rules committee placed it as the last action item. It's also um, the, the agenda and rules committee made a negative recommendation on item 19. Therefore, it is placed automatically on the action calendar. So um, item, the next item, 17, is obviously time sensitive. Um, we have, it's 9.43 p.m. I want to check in about with Councilor Robinson about what should we do about item 19. We had people waiting on the Zoom call to speak on that item. 
It's ironic given <laughs> given the timing of this. Um, and um, frankly, it was not moved up on the agenda because there are time sensitive business that we had to take up, like employer choice initiative. We need to deal with our staffing crisis, the local emergency. That's time sensitive. This is, I think, a, an important policy conversation, but it's not time sensitive. So, Councilor Robinson, what is your what do you recommend we do? You're absolutely right. Item 19 is absolutely not time sensitive, but it is incredibly important. Like you said, it is a little ironic and I think underscores uh, some of the content of the discussion that uh, we have people waiting to give public comments on it that wouldn't be able to do so if we postpone it. I am prepared to present on it uh, and present on the supplemental and some additional changes that I hope we'll consider, uh, but don't have a very good sense of how long the next item, which is very time sensitive, will take us to discuss. So I'm willing to hold out with the hope that we'll be able to take action on item 19 tonight, um, but certainly don't want to keep us up to an unreasonable hour. Yeah, and once again, you know, uh, you know, what we have to do to agenda rules is prioritize the, the agenda items on the basis of what's time sensitive, which is what we did with respect to this agenda. Um, which is why we prioritize 16 and 17 as the action items for us to take up. Um, and like I said, whenever something comes out of committee with a negative recommendation, it's automatically put on the action calendar. The agenda rules committee recommended that we reject item 19 um, as pre previously presented. So uh, council member Harrison. I actually do think that item, this next item might take a while because it's tied yes. up with so many other things that we are doing, including the things we voted on last night. I don't want to rush that discussion. So, and then I want to give people a chance to talk about 19, including the people that want to say we should have these discussions about 19 earlier in the evening at the very beginning. So I think it's kind of like, it is ironic and sort of unfair to be dealing with this right now. And I would like to see us put this back on the 14th, but I think we have more time. I just think it's not fair to people, frankly. They've been waiting a long time, and that's sort of your point. But I think that's, I'm not going to vote on something this important to the public that changes the entire way we take testimony at 1030 at night. I think that's not right. So I would ask that we delay this, if at all possible, but only to the 14th. I don't want to send it back to agenda either. I don't think it needs to go back there. There's a lot of discussion there. And I think you've got some good compromise ideas coming up, but I just think it's going to be too late. If I may, Mayor Argin, do you have a instinct, a sense? I know it's dangerous to predict how long the discussion on the local emergency may take. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. We have 81 attendees. I don't know how many of them wish to speak on that item. So that's why I'm raising the question. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I'll move it. Let's take it to the 14th. Um. Councilmember Weingraf, you raised your hand. Yes, I did raise the hand. Um, well, actually, the supplemental uh, was never discussed at the agenda committee. I know that I was referring to the pre. Oh, no, I'm just I'm just reacting to something I thought I heard Councilmember Harrison say, which that which was that this didn't have to be sent back to agenda because it was discussed at length at the agenda committee, but the supplemental was never discussed at the agenda committee. So um, I think it, it it could benefit from going back to agenda. 
Yeah. Um, so uh, I think this is an important issue that does warrant discussion. I appreciate the ideas around how we can um, look at how we how we do public comment. There may be other ideas that come out of the discussion as well. Um, I know we've had some ideas. We've we've talked about it at gen and rules also. I just, I mean, it, it is honestly ironic, <laughs> um, but I, but I think that it's only fair as a matter of fairness to the people that are here to speak on item 19, that we not do it at 11 PM. Um, and we can make this the first action item uh, on the agenda for March 14th, if possible. Um, I just think that's just only fair. And I guess, I guess highlights <laughs> why we need to look at, you know, um, uh, creating new systems around when items are scheduled. Um, I, so once again, um, uh, I guess I'll make a motion to continue item, uh, 19 to the March 14th, uh, council agenda and ask that we put it up um, as the first action item on the, on the agenda. Seconded by Robinson. Thank you. I just. Given the lateness of the hour, unfortunately, I think that's that's what's fair. Um, but this certainly illustrates, I think, the need for us to think about how we address this issue prospectively. Okay, we have some procedural motions. The question is to continuing item 19 to the March 14th agenda. And I'd like to ask the clerk to please call the roll. Councilmember Kesserwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Han? Yes. Wengraf? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. And Mayor Arrogate? Yes. Motion carries. Okay. Um, okay, so let's now proceed to item number 17, resolution terminating the proclamation of local emergency related to the COVID-19 pandemic. We did take action on the city's eviction moratorium last night, so that element of the recommendation we've already addressed. And so therefore, um, I think we should focus our, our discussion on the uh, recommendation on the termination of local emergency. So I wanna turn the floor over to the city manager um, um, on this item. Um, I, there may be other staff to present on this item as well. Thank you, Mr. Mayor and council. Um, on the call this evening is um, Dr. Hernandez, as well as Dr. Barhus. Um, we are not planning to provide a presentation. Um, the local emergency, um, the uh, the decision to uh, to forgo the local emergency was based on our current public health status. Um, as you know, um, we presented uh, last week on the status of COVID in our community. We, it has changed. Um, I do understand um, that what we're bringing to you tonight is, um, is not so much in conflict with moving forward with commitment around the moratorium, but um, tonight's um, action, I don't want it to impact what you all need to do as a council to support our community, but I wanna make sure that, um, that I'm clear that our public health emergency um, is no longer at the state in which it was um, pre-pandemic or even within the last year and a half. So um, with that, we're here to answer any questions that you may have, Dr. Barthus and Dr. Hernandez, um, but the local emergency declaration as it was presented 
from my behalf as the director of emergency services, I no longer have a public health emergency to request that you all provide an emergency for. So I um, ask that you terminate the local emergency. With that, I'll turn it back over to you, Ms. Jamila, for decisions and conversation. Thank you. Um, so um, I think we can open up discussion on this. Um, uh, you know, in looking, you know, I think when this item was submitted um, versus the data that we're seeing now around um, the increased um, COVID rates in wastewater, um, uh, you know, uh, there is, you know, we are seeing an increase in cases. Um, and I think that we anticipated that we see an uptick in February, but we're seeing that in the East Bay mud data. Um, I'll just note that um, City of Oakland did decide to extend their local emergency uh, for a, for a specific period. Um, and I, I don't you know what other neighboring jurisdictions are going to do. I think a lot of them are probably under county orders. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I look forward to my colleagues' comments. You know, my, my recommendation would be that we uh, not adopt this tonight, but provide direction for staff to come back uh, with um, uh, uh, a resolution to uh, extend the emergency. And we can have a conversation around that with staff around the findings on the basis of the data that we're seeing with, you know, the wastewater treatment and the numbers and case rates increasing there. Um, and, uh, and then extend it, um, I think, in line with what Oakland's doing. And I think given the action we took last night, um, I think it would be appropriate. That's my recommendation. I defer to my colleagues about what would be the best course of action. Um, but you know, this has been a roller coaster, admittedly, throughout the entire pandemic, where we think we make progress. The governor announced that the emergency was over last, you know, June of 2021, and then we saw Omicron, and then you know, and then we were out of Omicron, and then then the winter surge happened, and then case rates went down, and then case rates went up. And so, you know, I think where we are is much better than we have been in the past three years, but, you know, circumstances may change. And so I think we, I think exercising caution is appropriate that that's my opinion. You know, I, I know that there may be differences of opinion amongst my colleagues, um, but those are my thoughts. Uh, Councilor Han. Yeah, thank you very much. I was just trying to ascertain there's so many different dates in here. What is the last date that we reauthorize? It's January 31st. So I think we are required to have to consider it every 60 days. Right. So it would be at the end of March, right? That we would have to reconsider yeah. it. Correct. Um, so your direction would be to bring to bring that extension back at the end of March. That's 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 my that's my recommendation. Um, you know, I think we have really have two choices. One, do we terminate now, or do we terminate then, or do we extend? I think those are the those are the choices we have on the basis yeah. of how comfortable we are with um, the, the the facts, the fact pattern, <laughs> and the circumstances to support those decisions. Okay, I just wanted to get the timing correct. Nothing's lapsing now. We're mid cycle on a right. two-month cycle. And so I I 
couple of things. I uh, I looked at the data from East Bay Mud, and and I find it alarming. <laughs> um, you know, this is not what we expected to be seeing this far along. We've been talking about how people are vaccinated or they've already had COVID, and so there's a lot of immunity. Well, if that's the case, I don't think we would be seeing the kind of climb that we're seeing right now. Clearly, either a lot of people haven't had it or haven't been vaccinated or they've done one or the other or both, but we're still seeing a lot of illness. Um, I also note that uh, the federal government is planning on keeping their emergency declaration, I believe through May 11, if I'm, my memory serves me, um, which it hasn't very well today, but on this, I think it does. Uh, so um, I, I don't really see any reason to end it. I, I think it's arbitrary. I don't, I don't see a stack of evidence that tells me that we wouldn't continue to need to take public health measures, um, that people in our community are no longer being as severely impacted by uh, the disease. And so I, I just don't see any rationale for ending it today. It seems very arbitrary. And I would, I would support um, just simply taking no action on this today and, and asking the city manager to bring us another resolution, um, you know, in March and we can make another decision then. I just don't see any basis for doing it today. And I see data and, and other jurisdictions um, being more cautious. So that, that is the course of action that, that I will be following. Uh, Councilmember Wengrath. Uh, thank you. Um, well, I don't think anybody on this uh, dais has been more careful than I have during this pandemic. Um, the case rates have gone up 13% in Alameda County, but that doesn't mean they've gone up 13% in Berkeley. The fact is Berkeley has been a shining light throughout this entire pandemic in terms of our case rates and our death rates and our hospitalization rates. So, you know, frankly, I don't, I don't understand why we would continue the emergency. What are we doing? Are we gonna reinstate the mask mandate? Are we gonna reinstate the vaccination requirements? Um, are we going to limit indoor dining? I mean, what are we gonna do if we extend the emergency, if you think that things are getting so bad, shouldn't we be do, taking action to protect everybody? And, and what would those actions be? I mean, I understand that this is something that we have to learn to live with for the rest of our lives, that we will have COVID in our environment and we have to do the best we can with with the methodology that we're comfortable with to protect ourselves. And that's what I have been doing personally and um, with success because I haven't gotten it yet. And I'm gonna knock on my, on my desk right here. Um, I'm not happy about going back to in-person meetings. 
but we have to go back to in-person meetings, but it doesn't make sense to me. We're gonna continue the emergency, but we have to go back to in-person meetings. How does that work? I don't know, I'm finding this all very confusing because I was, I was trying to adapt to the fact that I'm just gonna have to be careful, but take more chances given that the state has ended the emergency and that as an elected official, I have to follow state state law. If Berkeley is gonna increase and extend the emergency, then I feel we have to back that up with taking certain actions uh, and make a statement that Berkeley is experiencing, you know, an increase in COVID and people have to do X, Y, and Z and businesses have to do X, Y, and Z. I don't think we can just sit up here and say, we're gonna extend the emergency and not back it up with some actions. That, that's just what I feel. I feel like if Alameda County is surging, Bob Wachter from UCSF predicted that this week things would be surging. I think we'll probably see it going back down and there may be times in the future when it goes back up, but we can't keep continuing the emergency forever. Or maybe, maybe we can, but what does it mean? What, what, what effect does it have? P explain that to me. Maybe I'll understand it better and, and I'll support it. But right now I don't understand what declaring the emergency means. Thank you. Councilor Harrison. Yeah, thank you, uh, Councilmember Wingraff. I kind of, I kind of share that. I think, I guess, I want to hear from the city manager. We're not actually extending the emergency. This would be a proactive stopping the emergency midway. So it's a little different. But I wanted to hear from the city manager a little bit about what the benefits are to the city of stopping the emergency. Are you feeling like you have to allocate a lot of resources because we're still in an emergency? I mean, what was your um, feeling about why you wanted to bring this today instead of waiting another thirty days? So we we did start this conversation um, very early on when the governor announced that um, he would be rescinding the the state local the state emergency. Um, we have consistently through this process built credibility with the community around um, when and how we have aligned this pandemic with public health emergencies and the data that supported it. As the data started shifting for us, as our county partners and the state moved to rescind the local emergency, we also considered in-house, when should we rescind our local emergency or bring to council? Because it clearly is in your purview, whether or not you decide to um, terminate this local emergency. But that, our partners, because we walk through this process step-by-step step with the county, with the state, with other local jurisdictions. We've used our local data to gain credibility with our community, to have these conversations about letting the data dictate our processes and how we address this pandemic. So when those numbers started shifting, when our county, when our state started shifting, 
so did the city of Berkeley. Now, I put in administrative regulations. Those administrative regulations are going into effect tomorrow morning. March 1st, masking vaccinations will be encouraged but not required at all city facilities for all people coming into the city. That's happening effective tomorrow. Um, so again, we are moving into an endemic state or are in an endemic state. I'll have to let Dr. Barhu speak to the public health state that we're in. We gave you all an update last week, but truly it's been around the data. We've been allowing and participating in, in this um, public health emergency and making our decisions based on data, supporting the partners that we've been working with all along, making sure we're aligned to reduce confusion across the city and local jurisdictions. But um, we've also seen where we've had some outliers where even as a city, we have been more stringent and strict where we thought it was necessary to be more strict or stringent. Um, so I'll, I'll defer to Dr. Bahus and your visions. But those are my reasons for the decision. Please said you'd like to add any additional comments. Sure, I'll add in a little bit. So I want to lay out um, for this evening that we are in a little bit of an unusual predicament in Berkeley because we are both a city and we are an independent public health jurisdiction. So when we look to cities like Oakland, who I think have extended their emergency a bit um, for a variety of reasons, the county itself has claimed the end to the emergency. And the other association of Bay Area Health Officer counties, Alameda, Contra Costa, Marin, San Francisco, San Mateo, to name a few, their health officers have effectively ended the state of emergency as a public health crisis. COVID in itself in Berkeley, where we have an extremely high vaccination rate, we have really good protections. And yes, we have COVID in wastewater, but from a scientific perspective, we will have COVID in wastewater for quite a while. Um, that doesn't mean that our public health officer unit, which is extremely skilled, isn't constantly monitoring all of these things and making sure that we have vaccinations available, that we are caring for people, that we are imagine, managing out, outbreaks. So ending the emergency doesn't end all of that activity, that it continues to be a responsibility as a jurisdiction. The one thing that I would offer up to consider would be the extent to which the post-pandemic effects in Berkeley continue to be a challenge for the community. I would not say at this point in time that we are in a public health COVID crisis. We are in a recovery situation that is really challenging. And if, if council is considering extending the emergency, it should be from the perspective of the recovery situation and not from a COVID situation or a wastewater situation, because we will continue to monitor these things and we will continue to make sure that our community is safe. So I just wanna offer that as something to consider. We, we spoke okay. a lot last night about evictions. We spoke a lot last night about people losing their economic opportunity 
And if those things are still in effect, then perhaps that is the issue that we're contending with. But I would not declare that we're in emergency because of COVID in this moment in Berkeley. Okay. I guess this is my problem. I'm, I'm following up on what Councilmember Hahn said. The thing, it doesn't end today. You don't need us to re-up or cancel today. And I'm not hearing enough to say that we have pulled out of it to cancel today. That I'm following up on what Councilmember Hahn had to say. We're kind of midway. So I think what I would like to see is that we not deal with this tonight and that we each maybe personally speak with the city manager or Dr. Varhus or the public health officer about the state of evidence, because I know we have to make findings. I'm not prepared to end this right now because we don't have to end it right now because we're still in the middle of the 60 days. So I think that's why I'm a little confused. I haven't heard anything that's affecting you operationally, Madam City Manager. You've indicated you're going to change things for operational orders anyway. So I'm totally fine leaving this for right now. I think that's that's where I was trying to head. I don't know if I was artful in that, but I'm fine with not taking any action right now. Um, and then I'd love to speak to you more about it offline just to get a better sense. Thank you. Okay, okay uh, we'll go to Councillor Humbert. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, I support ending the emergency. Today, Alameda County ended their, their declaration, and we should follow suit. We're now clearly in the endemic stage of the global pandemic, and we've done much better with our numbers than almost any other city or state. As I said last night, it's a new and unhappy status quo, but it's no longer a general emergency. We really need to move forward toward a new normal, and I agree 100% with the um, eloquent comments of um, Council Member Wengraff. Um, those are my comments. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, Councilor Taplin is next. Thank you. <clears throat> In light of what we've heard from Dr. Barghus, we have heard from many people who are in the process of recovering from the pandemic, um, especially economically, and perhaps that does constitute a crisis of, of recovery. Um, so perhaps um, the, you know, the conditions of the emergency may not be um, the exact same as they were when it was initiated, but I do think that we are still facing uh, a crisis of adapting to our new conditions. Oh, thank you, Councillor Kisawani. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. I uh, accept the city manager's recommendation and I appreciate the further context from Dr. Varhus that we are not in a COVID emergency at this point. I want to note, as others have, that Alameda County lifted the emergency today for the county. And so I'm prepared to make a motion. I'm, I'm making a motion to adopt the resolution terminating the proclamation of local emergency issued due to the spread of a severe acute respiratory illness caused by a new coronavirus, COVID-19. That's my motion to adopt the resolution. I'll Is there second. a second? I'll second. Um, Thank you. Uh, let's go to the counselors who haven't spoken. Councilmember Robinson and Bartlett. I'll echo Councilmember Taplin's thoughts and really want to thank Dr. Barhus for the framing she provided. Uh, they may be different findings now, but I think there is still an emergency of a different sort, an emergency of recovery. And Mayor Ergin, 
I imagine you'll make a supplemental motion based on the recommendation and guidance you suggested earlier. I would be happy to support that. Okay, thank you, uh, Vice Mayor Bartlett. Uh, thank you, and I'm I'm I've got I've got a cold or something over here. This cold weather. It's not COVID though, uh, but <clears throat> I'm wondering. It's a question, I guess, for uh, either the city manager or uh, Dr. Varhus. Uh, what are the implications of us ending the emergency now, uh, particularly with regard to uh, tenants and protecting tenants? So um, I'll have to defer to the mayor on that question, but um, I will say that the local emergency, as, as I brought it to you all as a declaration, was strictly about COVID-19. Um, as we started moving through the pandemic, the moratorium was put into effect. So my declaration um, coming to this council to have you approve this declaration of local emergency initially had nothing to do with the moratorium that came later, and it was tied to the local emergency. So um, clearly, um, as I've shared, as I as um, Dr. Barhus has stated this evening. Um, it's kind of like um, you have a, a natural fire disaster in your community. Um, the fire is put out, but the disaster is still there and you're in recovery. I think that's what she's trying to kind of say. And so you can have a, you know, a declaration around the recovery stage of that fire disaster. Um, but it truly needs different findings than what I provided to you all. And so I'm coming to you saying, I no longer have this declaration of emergency as a public health concern. So that's why I brought it for you all to terminate. That is the only reason. So I um, I hope that answers your question. And so I guess the implications uh, beyond, beyond that are just, uh, now we have meetings in person and, uh, you can be somewhere and not wear a mask all the time. Is that is that is that the uh, base basically what this what the end of this means? No, I think the end of this means that we no longer have fifteen departments meeting in an, in a um, emergency operations center to address a pandemic across the city. The purpose of an emergency operations center is when we cannot provide. Um, services without convening multiple people to come together to address an issue. We are not in that position any longer. We've been out of that. We've transitioned through that. We've mobilized. We've returned to, norm to a form of normalcy within our departments so that they can handle this emergency in the public health department now. But that's the reason for an, an EOC activation and then later to declare this local emergency. Um, because it is affecting the community at large in a major way um, that has changed. And so we are now um, discussing the pulling back of that, that declaration that covers that. Okay. It also provides us those federal resources and things like that that we can get support from. Pardon me. Okay. I'm in my office. The heat is terrible here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to just interject because I want to make a substitute motion. And I'll just say that, um, uh, you know, even though we've had a state emergency for months, we ended the masking mandates 
and the vaccination requirements for businesses. City manager has the authority, even if the emergency is still in effect, to suspend those requirements for city facilities and city employees. And I understand she's provided that direction, certainly her prerogative as a city manager. I want to pull up Oakland's resolution that they adopted on February 6th to extend their emergency. And while um, it says that, uh, you know, the governor announced the end of the statewide emergency, it says, whereas despite progress in addressing the pandemic, not all eligible individuals are vaccinated, fully vaccinated and new, more virulent strains of SARS-CoV-2 virus are spreading in California and throughout the world. Despite significant progress, COVID-19 remains a threat to public health and safety to um, of the Oakland community. Um, City of Oakland will continue to require access to services, personnel, equipment, and facilities and resources from the federal government, state, local, and other agencies, including resources that may not be currently available to respond to the spread of the virus in their jurisdiction. The health and welfare of the citizens of the city, as well as that of the employees, is paramount. And on that basis, the City of Oakland Council did extend their emergency. And once again, um, these, you know, provide the sort of justification for why they did that. You know, yes, you know, we're not Oakland. <laughs> um, and, you know, we have been, you know, managed the pandemic, I think, much better. But I think some of the same arguments are valid for the city of Berkeley. Um, you know, accessing the FEMA grants, um, you know, the having the flexibility to respond in a search capacity if things do get worse. Um, and so um, I'm not prepared to end it today. I appreciate the, the recommendations. So I'd like to make a substitute motion that we take no action on the uh, item 17 and uh, direct the city manager to return to council with the resolution to extend before the expiration of the period for council consideration. That's my substitute motion. Second. Thank you. Councilmember Wenga. Well, um, I think that if there is an emergency, and apparently most of my colleagues here think there is, then we need to restore the testing sites. We need to restore the vaccination sites and we need to reopen the, um, the emergency operations center. If there's an emergency, there's an emergency and we need to treat it as such, not just give lip service to it, which is what apparently is happening here tonight. I want to put services behind it because that's the only thing that means anything. And if there are services that are directed at recovery, that's fine. But let's let's not just say there's an emergency and then not do anything. If there's an emergency, that means people are at grave risk. I'm sure there's a definition somewhere of what an emergency is. If people are at grave risk, then our responsibility is to act to protect them. So what are we gonna do to protect them in this emergency? Is there a plan? No. Is that a question or, or comment? That's a question. I think you raise a valid point. I mean, I think we need access to testing. I've heard concerns from constituents around where are they gonna be able to access testing? I think that's valid. Uh, we actually demobilized the EOC many months ago, but yet the local emergency still was in effect to ensure that we can access FEMA grants, to ensure that we can access certain grants and resources. So you don't, we don't necessarily have to be have an active EOC for a state of emergency to 
And the Emergency Services Act does recognize that there's a transition period um, between when the actual emergency event occurred and when there's a transition to ensure, um, and, and there's a there's a recovery period. There's no doubt there's a recovery period that we have to address. So I guess that's my answer to your question. So there's definitely a recovery period, but um, the it's it. I don't believe we have a public health emergency in the same way that we had in March of 2020, and um, and yet we're using the same mechanism. Maybe we need to create a different kind of mechanism to deal with the recovery period. But this emergency was started in March of 2020, if I'm correct, correct me if I'm wrong with my dates, and we extended it every 60 days. You came back to council and we extended it. Maybe we need a different kind of emergency now to deal with the recovery. But I don't see how extending the same emergency deals with that. And I'm, I mean, I'm open to hearing suggestions from the city manager, uh, from Dr. Barhus or um, anybody else. Um, you know, I will just add, um, Councilmember Wingraff, that I do believe there are we need different findings in a new declaration. The way that it was written prior, I don't have the same public health data and information to provide this to just bring back the replicant um, resolution. It would need to be a very specific and succinct resolution that talks about new findings to declare this declaration of emergency again. And I would need help from this council and we can talk what, you know, offline um, with the mayor to come up with those find what those findings are, but I don't have those this evening. Um, I don't know what they are at this time. But I'm, I'm I'm here to support you all and to figure out a path forward. But um, the declaration, as I presented it to you all, is no longer at the forefront. I'm no longer sitting in this space as the director of emergency services, asking you to continue this further for for public health concerns. But I'm willing to work with you to figure out how to declare some other type of emergency that will meet your needs as you've laid out this evening, but I'll need more details on that. It, are there, are there um, requirements for a, what you have to make findings? Is that what you, you said that in order to declare an emergency city manager, you have to make findings to justify that? Yes, I, I need to justify any time I bring forth a local emergency declaration to this council, there would be findings and they should be significant, should be unexpected, um, very um, uh, significant or dangerous situation in which I need to bring forth um, a call of action for immediate assistance and help to trigger different specific scenarios, whether it's resources, um, money, um, staff help to move um, initiatives forward, I would have to have a finding to request that of you all. Is our emergency up tonight? Is our declaration of emergency up tonight? It's every no, 60 days, right? No, what, it's March when, when does it expire? March 30th. March 30th. So, um, 
if we didn't take action tonight, the emergency would stay into effect until March 30th, unless we renewed it. Is that correct? So we could do that. And in the meantime, between tonight and March 30th, we could work on uh, a recovery program that would address the needs that Dr. Varhus identified and uh, Terry referenced and come up with a program for addressing those needs. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. I, we have a substitute and a man on the floor, so I don't know whether uh, Councilmember Kesawani, would you be willing to accept a friendly amendment to your substitute or to your main actually motion to um, not take action tonight uh, and wait until the emerge wait until uh, March 30th when our current declaration expires to address the recovery needs of our community um, in a possible new declaration of emergency, a different declaration of emergency. If, if the city manager finds that she can make the findings to justify it. Uh, I'm not prepared to amend to do that uh, because my understanding is that this emergency is about a public health emergency. And it sounds like this recovery is more, correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand it's more about economics. And yeah, it's a different, it's a different, it's a different, it would be a completely different action. And what, why do we need to declare that an emergency? What emergency powers are needed to respond to yeah, the, the economic recovery? That's a good question. That's a good question. I don't know. Well, I, I think you still have the floor, Council Member Wengraf, so I, I will. Yeah, okay. Well, okay. Um, I mean, I, I don't know whether an emergency is required or not, but maybe in the next four weeks we could we could find out. I mean, clearly the manager needs to have findings to do it, so it might not reach that threshold. But since we've identified here that, that there are needs in the community, I feel like we need to um, we need to think about addressing them. I don't think a public health emergency is the way to do it. Well, we have a dis difference of opinion on the council, respectfully. Yeah. Okay, Councillor Kisarwani. Okay, thank you very much, Ms. You're muted. You're, You're muted. muted. I, I remuted. I apologize. So um, I, I wanted to ask you, Mr. Mayor, just a couple of questions about. Um, your so actually, could you clarify what is your substitute motion to just take no action? Because because well, we already declared the, direct that they come back with a resolution to extend, and I think we should look at the Oakland findings. And I'll just note, uh, just in answer to your question, um, the standard for triggering is distinct. Um, you know, in the case of an earthquake, for example. The emergency event has already ended by the time the emergency is declared, but the emergency period does exist after that incident does occur. So um, 
I think there's a distinction in terms of the triggering event versus the emergency. And um, uh, that that's the motion. Okay, so so uh, so just to clarify, so your your motion is to direct the city manager to return with a resolution to extend. So inherently in that, because we are already covered through March 30th, correct? Or March 31st. So so you're asking- but, but This item is asking that we terminate and unless right. there's direction to bring back an extension, the manager is not gonna bring back an extension, so. Okay, so so I just wanna get the dates right. So, but, but when you say you want an extension, you're inherently looking for a resolution that would go past March 31st, correct? Yes, correct. Okay, okay. So that's what you're asking the council to, to vote on is to prepare something that could come back to the council, I guess in mid-March to extend beyond March 31st. Yes. Okay. If okay. we don't approve it, then it ends at the end of March. If we approve it, it it continues. Okay. So you would want to create that option to extend beyond March 31st with that resolution, since we don't have that available tonight. Yes. Okay. Okay. I, I just want to understand that part. Okay. So, um, and so at that time, so, so, um, are, are we, and, and maybe we don't know the answer to this because we don't, we don't have that resolution, but um, to Councilmember Wengraf's question, are we wanting to explore continuation of the emergency because we see a need for emergency services to continue such as the testing sites? I mean, our, our vaccine sites, I think they have been closed for some time, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe we've had some vaccine and booster clinics, you know, not in the not too distant past. Um, I know our emergency operations center is no longer functioning. So I guess I'm wondering what emergency, why do we need to, the continued declaration? What powers are needed to continue beyond March 31st? Who's that, who are you directing that question to? Well, I, I, I guess I would, uh, well, it seems like Mr. Mayor, you have a, a difference of opinion from the staff that are saying they don't see a need to continue the emergency, right? The city manager has recommended to us tonight to lift the emergency. So I guess I would ask you, Mr. Mayor, what services do you think are needed by our community that require the consideration of a continued emergency declaration in mid-March to continue beyond March 31st? Yeah, I'm not prepared to answer that question tonight. I want to give that some thought, and I'm happy to address that if this item comes back. Okay, so so we're okay. So just to clarify, so we're not sure yet what services we may want to continue. Okay, and uh, but then so then can I ask you why you disagree with the city manager's recommendation tonight, and you're not prepared to lift it tonight? Stated my reasons. Uh, it, I didn't hear that. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm not. We're not. It's a. It's 10:30. If your intent is to drag out the clock, so we don't. No, no. I'm just trying to understand. So I'm sorry, but you said you stated your reasons. I did, and I think that Oakland's made very, very good and clear findings about why the city of Oakland extended their emergency. Okay. Okay. So those are your reasons, the same as Oakland's. Yeah. I mean, I. You know, we're okay. seeing increased case rates in wastewater. Um. You know, we. Um. You know, COVID still remains a threat. Um, we, the city of Berkeley does need to access 
grants and resources under our emergency power. It does provide flexibility for us to be nimble in our response, which is something that we've done throughout the pandemic. This is something we will discuss if the council does approve the substitute motion around a set of findings. We have to make new findings if there is an extension. Can't make the same findings. So that's to be based on the current data and circumstances. Okay. Okay. So I, I think and, and this is my final question. And I, I'm not trying to dry anything out. I just I just want to understand the basis of this. So are you prepared to tell us what metrics are you looking for? Because I saw Oakland said something to the effect, I, I couldn't read it all because I know it was shared pretty briefly, but it was something like not everybody is vaccinated yet. I believe Berkeley's vaccination rate, I think the other night we heard it was 94%. Is that correct? I believe so. I defer okay. to the staff. So I'm wondering, you know, just to take that one metric, vaccination rate at 94%, what vaccination rate do you want Berkeley to achieve with the continue with the possible continued declaration of emergency? Um, you know, once again, um, I'm happy to have this conversation offline and in consultation with our staff. I think I'd say the reasons why I've introduced my substitute motion. I know you're not in favor of it, and I respect your opinion. Okay, so so just to sum up what you just responded, you're not clear on what higher metric we would want for vaccination rate. Okay, okay, I think I, think that's I understand something, what's a conversation happening here I tonight. Have with our staff. And I think I have the floor. I, I, I think I understand what's happening here tonight, and I, I think we can just go ahead and vote. Councilor Taplin. Um, thank you. Uh, Mr. Mayor, I'm wondering if you would be um, willing to include in your motion direction for the city manager to also return with new findings for uh, an emergency based on economic recovery. Um, I think that if we, I, I'm happy to include that in the motion as something to refer to staff to consider. Mm -hmm. um, I want to be sh sure that um, that you know, if we have a local emergency, it's on the basis of COVID and not a different circumstance, because as implications for access to FEMA resources, flexibility on implementation, the eviction moratorium. So I'm happy to include that as, as something to refer to staff to to analyze and explore um, as part of um, consideration of an of an extension. I'll include that as a friendly amendment. Who is the seconder? Myself. Except, do you accept? Yes, I think that was actually, I mean, I assume that was part of what would be looked at. Yes, I, I believe so. So I appreciate so. Councilor Taplin clarifying that. Okay, so that's in the motion. I feel ready to vote. Thank you. Uh, Councilor Hahn, uh, in the interest of time, uh, uh, I want to go to you. Um, definitely want to hear your feedback, but. Uh, Definitely want to be sure you vote prior to the 11 o'clock expiration. Okay. Thank you for the time check. I just wanted to say that I think there's a little confusion about what we're doing here today. What is, we have a de declared emergency. It, it lasts till March 30th. Findings were made for them. Today, what the city manager has before us is lifting an emergency that is a two month long declaration that already in place. So the findings that would have to be made today 
are the findings that rise to the standard for listing an emergency. And that's different from the standards for declaring one. And honestly, I'm surprised by how little there is here. The finding is that COVID-19 is prevalent in the community, but we've made progress. And that's it. It just says current conditions warrant the termination of a local emergency. There's nothing in here. There's no data. There's no information. And quite frankly, 99% of cities in California declared an emergency without having a health department. So the emergency that they declared was on some other basis. The county gave them an umbrella of a health emergency, but they declared their emergencies for other reasons so that they could deal with a whole ton of other impacts. Now we have staff saying, because we are a health department, we think for health reasons, this emergency should be lifted. But there's a whole bunch of other reasons that 99% of cities in California found compelling to keep an emergency in their jurisdiction. So I just think this whole line of inquiry saying, you know, prove that we need an emergency. Today's job was to prove that we don't. And I don't think we have that before us. So we're talking about just leaving the existing declared emergency in place taking no action. So I don't see a basis for removing it. Thank you. Councilmember Weingraf. Yes, and I'll be brief. Um, I think last night in the resolution to lift the commercial eviction moratorium, there was a statement about how business is returning to normal and businesses do, are doing, you know, recovering and doing really well. So there's really no need for the commercial um, eviction moratorium any longer. And that was very positive. And there was a lot of, you know, feeling good about how well Berkeley has fared. Um, it was tough, but we're coming back. And I think we are coming back. I don't have any data. I think economic development is bringing us a report actually at the next meeting. But right now, um, I don't have any data to to um, to turn to, to share with you. But, you know, it's, it seems a little contradictory to me to make one statement one night and then the next night make a completely different statement that makes it seem like, oh no, we're still in the, we're still in this terrible pandemic and we need to continue the emergency. That's completely different than what we heard last night. So, uh, you know, I can't support, I can't support the, um, the substitute motion. I, I don't understand what's going on, frankly. Well, you know, Councillor Wenger, if I did respectfully also pull up the chart from East Bay Mud, that show the increase in I understand. The accounts in the wastewater I, and talked about, talked about vulnerable people. So I'm just, I'm responding to your 
your comment, which is you said that we're saying two different things. We did also address that there are public health um, conditions that could warrant an extension of the emergency. We did address that last night. Well, you know, um, the, the, the unfortunate reality is that we are gonna see COVID in wastewater for a long, long time, maybe forever. We can't, if maybe, maybe it's your plan to keep the city of Berkeley in an emergent, under an emergency forever. I don't, I don't know what's gained by that. I don't know what, it, what effective difference it will make, but I, I think we're gonna see COVID surging up and down, certainly two weeks after holidays, uh, two weeks after very large events, you know, we're going we're gonna to see it going up and down. That's just the name of the game. It's going to be what we have to learn to live with. But does a surge in wastewater rates mean we have to continue the emergency? And I think Dr. Varhus was very eloquent in saying that is not, you know, that's not a good standard. So I, it's okay. Let's just vote. Well, we need to take public comment first. So let me ask, are there any attendees that would like to speak on this item? Keep in mind that uh, it's 10.40 PM. Um, if you are in favor of us taking action tonight. Um, okay, are there any speakers in the boardroom? Yes, Carol Morasovic. Uh, so to me, recovery means that you've suffered a disaster and um, you're now rebuilding. The disaster is over. Uh, I, uh, before I heard the financial consequences, my concern was not whether we call it an emergency or not, but that we modify our response. Just because we don't have the same large response that was needed doesn't mean that we shouldn't continue some response. Uh, having the testing trailer or more limited testing sites still seems a necessity. Uh, so we've been vaccinated, but there's supposed to be a third booster coming. I mean, our booster, uh, the vaccinations are wearing off. The boosters are wearing off. Shouldn't we continue to have this in place in some fashion? Uh, so it's not that the response has to be at the same level as an EOC, but it seems to, as if there has to be some response in some fashion, so, because Berkeley did better than the county, don't we want to continue to do better by providing some specific services? Uh, I just learned here tonight that there could be financial consequences. So why wouldn't we want the financial benefit if we have to call it an emergency to receive those, those reimbursements from the feds? Um, but thanks. And there were a couple of us who were waiting because we thought we still could make public comment on 19. Is there not going to be any public comment on 19 tonight? No. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, that well, depends on what time we complete this discussion. Okay, let's go to, are there any other speakers in the boardroom? Mr. Clerk? No, no more speakers. Becky O'Malley is our next speaker. Mr. O'Malley, you can now speak. Please unmute yourself. 
I find this discussion appalling. The amount of important information that a couple of these council members have is really terrifying. For one thing, people wear masks not to protect themselves, but to protect other people, vulnerable people. And if you don't have masks in a small space, like say Trader Joe's, you are passing viruses around to vulnerable people. You should wear it to protect yourself a little bit, but you wear it to protect other people a lot. And I'm not going in any Berkeley stores if they're full of unmasked people breathing. I'm sorry, I'm 83 years old. The other thing that is really ridiculous is the lack of knowledge of the economic effect of post-COVID. There are endless papers about what post-COVID is causing to our um, employment shortage. We have a labor shortage in this country. You just did a whole section on a labor shortage in the city of Berkeley. It's partly because there are a lot of people who are still recovering from COVID and there's no good plan for dealing with what's going to become of these people. They're getting evicted. They're not being able to keep their jobs. There's a lot going on and none of it seems to be in front of any of you, or at least in front of a couple of the council members. It's shocking. You really need better information. Oakland has better information. Other places have better information. I appreciate the fact that some of the council members seem to have better information, but you you really should not be voting on this if you don't know what you're talking about and you really don't okay we'll go to kelly hammergren followed by gt okay i'll be quick 94 percent is people for the first two vaccines it was 41 percent that have the boosters so two vaccines is not really being fully vaccinated and the wastewater is an early predictor because people uh, shed the uh, virus in their poop first before they get sick, just to be great, just to be clear. And the so you know we still have a we still have a problem, and this is not over for people who are over sixty five and who are immunocompromised and. I really support uh, the substitute motion to just let this go on till the end of March. Thank you. Our next speaker is GT, followed by Kit Saganor. Good evening. Thank you. I find this fascinating. Uh, I'm sure you don't want to hear my opinion. And by the way, my opinion is not relevant. Read the law, government code. 8630, as well as H, uh, Health and Safety Code 101080, both say the governing body shall proclaim the termination of the local emergency at the earliest possible date that conditions warrant. At the earliest possible date that conditions warrant. Why you have to take so long to get through your meeting and why you're going to potentially discuss cutting off public comment is you can't get to business. It's pathetic. Thank you. I yield the rest of my time. Kit Saginaw is our next speaker. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate the uh, conversation and the thoughtfulness that's being given here. 
I know that a lot of people are just tired of COVID and they want for it to be over and that that has clearly colored a lot of the political decisions that are being made. Um, but the state of knowledge is still developing. One of the things that I've been watching is the fact that people who catch COVID multiple times are increasing their risk of having long COVID uh, with possible lifelong, we don't even know what, what the, the, the um, issues are. But it's, although people, some people are experiencing it as, oh, it's just like a cold. I saw some articles today that it affects the brain. It's, it's not just a respiratory illness. It is not just like a cold. And we don't yet know what catching it repeatedly does. Um, so I think proceeding cautiousness does help. I am one of those. I've been very happy. I've been able to go to theater in some cases because many of the theaters require the audiences to be masked. Um, the, I will not be out in public um, in it for more than the time it takes to walk through a grocery store um, if people are not going to be, at least for the most part, masked. I think that you are setting an example for others. Um, it's unclear what can be done and what should be done, but I'm very glad to hear that you're going to consider this uh, carefully and do as much as you can to mitigate the health risks. Thank you. Tom Andrews, our next speaker. Oh, thank you, uh, Mr. Mayor and council members. Um, I find it interesting that uh, earlier in the evening, we had a long presentation hundreds of thousands of dollars spent on how we can recruit and retain staff and make them happy. And here you have a staff recommendation to do something that some of you don't like, and they're doing it based on their expertise, uh, but you're gonna send it back to them to try and get a different result is the way I look at this. Um, and that just doesn't make any sense to me, especially in light of the staff situation that we have. The other thing I would say, if you want a, a framework or an analogy how to look at this, um, I'm not an investor, but um, I've heard investing advice before. And um, one thing that I was told as I was growing up was, you know, if you hold a stock at a certain price uh, that you wouldn't buy at that price today, you should sell it if the fundamentals of the company whose stock you hold are not, don't justify you holding the stock, if market conditions don't justify you holding the stock, then you should sell it. So the conditions that required the original emergency declaration no longer require you to hold the stock. <laughs> you should sell the emergency declaration. You should get rid of it. Uh, and I think that's what staff is advising. So I'm not quite sure why there's the difficulty and it makes me wonder what what powers you're protecting for yourself to maintain the emergency in the face of all these other jurisdictions that are ending theirs. Thanks. Our next speaker is Krista. Thank you, Mayor. Krista Goldbranson. I'm actually not going to speak at all in my capacity as where you normally know me from. I'm going to just speak as a um, a business owner in the community of another business that I own and say that I have worked in public policy for 30 years in Oakland and, um, and eight years in Berkeley. I have managed city commissions. I have been a chair of the community policing advisory board in Oakland. I've worked on multiple campaigns and I have never seen the disregard 
for your city manager who you appointed and your city health official for what they are telling you. I think it's extraordinarily disrespectful and I have no understanding of why some city council members are trying to move this forward to further extend it when your officials are telling you the exact opposite. Thank you. Seeing no additional raised hands, I will ask the clerk to please call the roll on the subsidy motion. Can, can you please repeat the motion? Subsidy motion is to take no action on the resolution to terminate and to direct the city manager to come back with findings um, and a resolution to extend prior to the end of the emergency period um, and to include Councilor Taplin's um, friendly amendment to also look at um, the um, sort of economic circumstances around the um, impact of the um, of the emergency. Roll call. Councilmember Kesarwani. No. Taplin. Yes. Bartlett. Yes. Harrison. Yes. Hahn. Yes. Wengraff. Abstain. Robinson. Yes. Humbert? No. Mayor Aragine? Yes. Motion carries. Motion carries. So that completes action on this item. Um, in the remaining, uh, what, eight minutes left, is there any member of the public that wishes to speak to an item not on the agenda? Seeing no additional raised hands, I'll move to adjourn. Second. Roll call, please. Councilmember Kisarwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. And Mayor Aragine? Yes. Okay, we are adjourned. Thank